All right. Hello. Welcome to an episode of the Cinecult podcast. Uh, this is your host, Cordell Calkins. And joining me tonight, back by, at least by my demand, is Tyler of All My Heroes Wear Masks. Go ahead and say hi, Tyler. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't try to inflate my ego with popular demand. Just back <laughs> by my demand. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> now it's good to be back on here with you. So, um, I might have already kind of done this opening when I interviewed CJ Graham. So, I'm just going to kind of like rehash the opening and maybe try to cut some of that out of the interview. Um, tonight, we are going to be reviewing Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. The and Six I believe Star- no other podcast has ever done this before. Oh, no, a lot of them have. <laughs> first, the first one. <laughs> I'm breaking new ground. I'm like the Lewis you and are. Clark. Of, You're on top of it. I'm the Lewis and Clark of, <laughs> of Jason reviewing. <laughs> it may have been done before, but it hasn't been done by you and me. I think not. Well, it has been done by me before on Nudie Show. Oh, okay, and it has been done by me probably years back on my old show. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think you guys did part five and six in the same episode. Uh, yeah. I know we did it a long time ago. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and start this. Uh, are we drinking tonight? I'm drinking. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm drinking Miller Lite. That's all shaken up because I dropped the 12 pack as I was walking in the door. I mean, if you want, I can go grab a bottle of my uh, fucking liquor and. I don't know. Do you get weird when you drink Cordell? Well, if I'm having a good time, I just laugh a lot. And if I. Okay. And if I'm like, if I get, if you make me sad, then I'll just get emotional. <laughs> That's how I am. I get sad when I drink sometimes. I call them stone sour nights. You know, it's going bad when I turn stone sour on. Cause that means I'm going to be up all night and the Titanic theme song will come on at some point. I mean, I'm, I've never been emotional on a show before. Uh-huh. I mean, I know tonight's you've had tonight. some pretty interesting episodes. Yeah, I've uh, been I, I've been intoxicated before on a podcast. I was specifically referring to your part, your Friday the Thirteenth two and three episode where you were like on coke. <laughs> did I say that out loud on the show? Yes, you did. <laughs> you we may or may not have did cocaine the night before. I believe it was one of the last few episodes that all my heroes ever did, and you came, finally came out and said. So, uh, you know why I was so bad on episode? Uh, yeah, I did some coke. So much, it wasn't so much the cocaine that was the problem. It was doing the cocaine and then trying to get drunk again. I must have drank like 30 beers and then I felt like shit for two days. <laughs> oh, God. But I like cocaine. I highly recommend it. Uh, I do not endorse that statement, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, Cordell. I don't vote. No, nah. Well, I think if you move out to where is it? Is it Oregon or Washington State? One of those two states. You can do whatever the fuck you want now. So uh, we're going to start this off with what have you been watching? Okay. I'll let you go first while I kind of refresh my memory. All right. Well, I finally sat down for the first time and watched uh, the Christmas slasher Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not your conventional slasher. It didn't feel like to me, but I really liked it. I really cannot wait to talk about that on the show because there's just a lot I want to... The kills are amazing in that movie. Well, let me ask you, did you get the Blu-ray? Yes, I got the uh, Shout Factory uh, edition that came out that had the theatrical and the uh, 
unrated. Right. I was just asking because that movie's just like one of your favorite movies, My Bloody Valentine. It has mm-hmm. like a version where the kills aren't in there, and then they have the version where the kills are put back. Um, I have to say, out of my out of all the kills in that movie, my two favorite had to have been the first kill when Billy strung the guy up on the lights, mm. like with the Christmas lights, and then the decapitated head. Uh, the, the, when he jumps out of the bush and decapitates that bully on the sled mm-hmm. and the body just comes down the hill without a head. Fucking <laughs> 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 hey, that's awesome. Yeah. I, my favorite kill is the Linnea Quigley one where he mounts her on the wall. D- dude, that is haunting. Like they do like a shot where they show like the, uh, like the shadow on the wall of him pushing her on the antlers that uh, yeah, just something about awesome. that just like so fucking haunting. And then at the end of that sequence, he gives that little girl buddy a bloody box cutter yeah. <laughs> as a Christmas present. <laughs> I would say this: the weakest kill in that movie when he threw uh, Linnea Quigley's boyfriend out of the window. Oh yeah, it's like that was weak. Well, they make up for it along the way. Um, I've also been watching uh, Mind Hunter on Netflix. Oh yeah. Um. They have two versions on there. One where they're hunting the Unabomber, uh, Theodore Kaczynski. Oh, and Mindhunter? It's the either Mindhunter. Okay, Mindhunter is the one about the uh, FBI criminal profiler, John Douglas. Uh, the first season of Mindhunter, who the fuck were they chasing? They were just doing interviews with serial killers on that. And then the second season was about the Atlanta child killer. Okay, one moment. Let me find that because yeah, Mindhunter was um, David Fincher's little project. Yeah, there's two seasons of that on Netflix. It's really, really fucking good. Oh, Manhunt. Oh, okay, yeah, you're watching something different. Uh, well, I have watched Mindhunter. It's a pretty good show, especially oh, yeah. when they when they bring in uh, someone to play uh, Manson, and they bring uh-huh. in, uh, the Manson was really good. Um, God damn it, I'm blanking on his name, but the big Ed guy. Kemper. Ed Kemper. yeah, that guy was really good, too. And then that um, one girl gets her vagina ate on the show. <laughs> she does! <laughs> so, no, I've been watching a TV series called uh, Manhunt. Um, it's a drama series. Uh, the first season, they're hunting the Unabomber. And then the second season deals with the uh, the 1970s uh, what was it? The- oh, I know what you're talking You're talking about, not the Unabomber, you're talking about the Atlanta bombing during the Olympics, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, okay, yeah, I've seen, I've seen commercials for that. I haven't watched it, though. But yeah, there's two of them. There's uh, Deadly Games, and then there's the Manhunt Unabomb. Oh, okay. Um, they're both really good. I definitely recommend both of them. Um, they kind of, you, you know, I had heard the story of Richard Jewell before the guy that was, uh, blamed for the bombing by the FBI before he see, was exonerated. See, I, didn't I, 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 I didn't realize that actually had to do with like an actual, like bombing though. See, I remember the, uh, the bomb, uh, but I was only like 11 when that happened, so I didn't really follow the case. And, you know, watching them commercials, they made it sound like somebody was 
you know, wrongfully convicted or at least wrongfully being looked at because of it. So I really don't even know the whole story of the case. Yeah, it revolves around, um, well, it doesn't revolve around, but this uh, security guard at the Olympics, Richard Jewell, mm-hmm. he had stumbled across the back the backpack with the bombs and mm-hmm. tried getting people to safety when it exploded. And the FBI kind of went with this uh, hero bomber theory at first. They thought maybe he was the actual bomber and then tried to play hero. Oh, uh, okay. Um, it turns out it wasn't him. It was just some dickhead named Rudolph. <laughs> the red-nosed reindeer. <laughs> I knew I couldn't trust that fucking reindeer. <laughs> but, uh... He was finally exonerated at some point, but he had a lot of lawsuits going for the longest for the longest time against like all these different publications for uh, slandering his name. I think, I think even Jay Leno apologized to him. Oh, you think so, he got raped in prison? No, he never went to prison. Oh, that's a shame. Um, they didn't catch the actual bomber though until two thousand three. No shit. See, as many fucking true crime podcasts as I listen to, you think somebody would have done that, that case. And it wasn't just the uh, Olympics that uh, Rudolph bombed. It was also a lesbian nightclub. He he planted a bomb at a lesbian nightclub and an oh, abortion shit. clinic as well. Oh, I'm starting to get a picture of this guy. <laughs> but I won't don't say hang it. it on your wall. <laughs> but I won't. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm starting to get a mental image of what this guy might be all about. Yeah, not really. I, and the fact that I just know him by his first name, Rudolph, and I can't remember his last name, just speaks to me. That uh, I believe it's not Rudolph even... Cockstain, I believe is his last name. Yeah, we'll go with that. He's not even <laughs> worth remembering. <laughs> so that's what I've been watching. What about you? Yeah, okay. Um, God, it's hard for me to remember. Uh, you know what we put on around here all day usually is fucking Comedy Central and it's always South Park and The Office but I watch The Office all the fucking time and it's weird because I'm one of them guys who's kind of a snob against uh, you know like primetime sitcoms on the, the big networks like Big Bang Theory or Friends I say they're all fucking stupid but my middle boy about this time last year he started watching The Office on Netflix and I watched an episode with him and I thought it was pretty fucking funny so I went back and I watched all the episodes all the way through on Netflix. And then I started watching them all the way through again on Netflix. And now they're just on TV all the time. So Steve I watched Carell the show. can be pretty funny. My God, Cornell. I love that fucking show. So fucking great. I never thought, yeah, I'd get into a, you know, I, I like Seinfeld, but a lot of the, I don't know. I just could never really get into network sitcoms. Tefer, I guess those two. But um, movie wise, I'm thinking. I know on Christmas Eve we watched uh, Batman Returns. I hadn't seen that movie in quite a few years, actually. And the darker of all the Batman movies. It really is. And it's weird. Um, I've been watching uh, that Batman and Batman Returns and Batman Forever and shit since I was a kid. And I remember whenever we, years ago, whenever The Dark Knight Rises came out, me and Balsack and Jason did a podcast on that and kind of talking about all the Batman movies. And that was kind of shitty to the Tim Burton Batmans. And I guess I've been guilty of that before. You know, there's a shiny new toy that comes out and you look back and you say, Oh fuck that Batman. That Batman sucks in comparison, but it's not really a comparison. They're two completely. 
I mean, you know, different different trilogies or different type of movies. But I mean, uh, you know, as a kid of the '90s, you know, I I grew up on Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and those were my favorites as kids. And yes, I understand those movies have a lot of problems, right? Specifically, Batman and Robin, but I still love them. I mean, they're just childhood nostalgia for me. Right. I love Batman Forever. I saw that in the theater. I do like Tommy Lee Jones in that. I actually dressed up as his version of Two Face one year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, looking back and thinking about that episode we did and how kind of shitty I was with the Tim Burton Batmans, you know, we got something new and those other ones suck. When did you do an episode of Batman? We did. But the point is, is Batman Returns is really fucking good. And I'm kind of ashamed I ever put it out there that they really weren't that good. So I, I'm going to go back and watch the 89 version. I mean, I've seen it countless times, but just sit down and really pay attention to it. Because I've seen Batman Returns so many times. Whenever it was on, I, I guess I just, I never really even paid that much attention to it. But I really sat down and, you know, thought about it and everything. And yeah, fucking, I'm going to get it on. Uh, all I got right now is a shitty uh, double-sided disc that has Batman 89, Batman Returns on front and back, and then Batman and Robin and Batman Forever front and back. So I think I'm going to try to get a nice 4K Blu-ray of Batman Returns. I'd say go for it. I hate those double-sided disc things because yeah. you put one of those discs down the wrong way and you instantly fuck up one of the movies. Right. Did you uh, end up getting that uh, Friday the 13th box set for Christmas, maybe? No, honestly, I don't think I'm going to get anything cool for Christmas until income tax seasons, but I did get a blender. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I got a blender, a framed photo of my cat, and two boxes of oatmeal. What's your cat's name? Clipso. Clipso. That's terrifying. Um, What the fuck? There was one other movie I was wanting to talk about. But the oatmeal is pretty good. Did you get the apple cinnamon? No, I got the dinosaur eggs one. (laughs) You are a child, Cornell. (laughs) But no, I brought up the Friday the 13th box set just because uh, whenever I I watched um, the part three version in my kid's PlayStation with their uh, VR headset, the disc came out a little bit scratched out of their PlayStation. So I was like, I'm going to buy another one of these fucking box sets just to have in case my part three disc fucks up. But I guess people on the internet were all pissed. Did I already tell you about this? Um, people no, on the I don't think pissed you did. off about like a missing scene from Jason Goes to Hell, and in part three, the opening credits don't poke out at you, and there mm-hmm. was a problem with Jason X, so they wanted like replacement discs. Well, well I knew really... about the replacement discs. Like that's all I've seen people bitch about on the different forms about it. But see, I, and I'm not that guy. I don't give a shit if in Jason goes to hell, you don't see a wrist snap backwards or whatever. But I got the replacement disc, and I only got them because just to have a backup copy of Part Three. So I thought that was pretty cool. I did. I did read something though that makes me want to get that box set now. Um, uh, the you know that music video they did to He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask? Mm-hmm. They, for the longest time, they did not put that on any of the DVD <coughs> releases to mm-hmm. the Jason Liz movie. They finally released it as a special edition on the uh, big box Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You know, it's funny. I was just over in a mall earlier, and they had some weird Blu-ray box set of Friday the 13th that had, like, um, the Jason Goes to Hell version on the front. And they had oh, it inside yep. a glass case. They wanted, like, 120 bucks for it. Yep, I think that was one of the. I think that was when Blu-ray really started to hit. Yeah, uh, they came out with that. That thing is like crazy expensive. I saw one of those. Was it like one of those steel metal cases? Yes. Yeah, I saw one of those on eBay for three hundred dollars once. 
I think they're missing the mark here because shouldn't that thing be dropping in price now that there's a new and improved one? Or does that thing have some kind of special feature on it that people I, still want? I could not tell you one way or the other. I've never owned it. Yeah, I thought that was kind of weird. New box set comes out, you see an old box set, and they still want 120 bucks for it. It's, uh, but but fucking around it's, the mall, since me and you and Balsack did what you've been buying <laughs> last time we were on, <laughs> I did find this kick-ass Ghostface shirt over in the mall. And uh, that's a awesome. Freddy Krueger one, so I'm happy. That's I have so many fucking t-shirts, it's ridiculous. I have a fucking tote in my closet that has about 30 ghost shirts in it. And then I got probably five or six more hanging in my closet. Then I got another tote of shirts I don't wear anymore. I just I don't know what the fuck my deal is with t-shirts. I'm telling you this right now. I am just waiting for that six hundred dollars that Trump just signed into law, uh-huh. so I can so I can go to Fye and get that Ghostface figure that they had there. Shut the fuck up. Is it is it cool? Is it like big or something? It's not big. It's one of those uh, NECA oh, ultimate. Okay. It's one of those ultimate NECA Ghostface. But the cloth is like actual cloth. Fuck, speaking of which, I think that fucking Part 7 Jason's probably out by now, isn't it? No, I haven't seen nothing else about it since they first announced it. I'm Googling this shit right now. But they should be, but they are releasing, I believe next month, uh, NECA's releasing their uh, ultimate Victor Crowley figure. Yeah, I'll pass on that. I might actually get that for my mom. I'm not big into Hatchet. But no, my mom either. is, so. Goddamn, now it says the release date on it's February 2021. I thought it was fucking coming out this month. Oh, well, that's good. I don't really have the money for it right now. I'll wait I'm for my stimulus for... check. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for February 2021. I'm waiting for my fucking Harry Warden figure. Oh, yeah, that's right. What did you do, just pre-order it? Yeah, I just pre-ordered the figure. I Because yeah. I just fucking bought off of shoutfactory.com. I just bought the collector's edition they did release last year. Mm-hmm. I don't want the steel box. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. I don't either. I'm like you. I, I still have my... I haven't even fucking... Oh, I think I got mine probably. Well, when did it release? February last year? Yeah, I believe I, it came out last year. I, I probably got mine a few months after that. I don't even think I've opened it yet. But I guess this will be the time of the year to do it here in about a month. Open a rep and yeah. watch it for Valentine's Day and check out that gore footage and uh i remember tweeting somebody on twitter about because uh, they actually they, they do reviews of these blu-rays and i was asking them how good the uh, kill scenes look because you know how junky they looked on the dvd version seeing if they cleaned them up uh, oh they good. definitely they cleaned up the movie like they cleaned it up nice yeah. like most of the cu- most of the cut kills that got put in they cleaned it up pretty good but That's i good. mean what I was more interested in was some of the special features they had on there. They right. had like, uh, they did something at some convention, some convention called Bay of Blood. Um, they had a My Bloody Valentine reunion. Oh, okay. And it had like most of the major cast members there. George Mialka was there. Who played Harry ta- Ward? Uh, Peter Cowper. I don't know if I ever knew that. Was he there or was he dead? Uh, no, I think Peter Cowper was there. Did he ever do anything else after that? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about My Bloody Valentine. But uh, they were talking about the... You know how there's like... Towards the end of the film when everyone goes down into the mine and you got those two uh, lovers that just kind of like go off, stop making love, and then the next time you see them, they're just dead? They weren't making love, Cordell. They was fucking... With that... uh. 
like that pole between them. Yeah. Well, apparently, uh, George Mialkas, uh finally went into detail about that kill. What was supposed to happen was they were supposed to be uh, making love. Harry comes up with that pole, sticks it on in into the guy, and then the camera pulls back and that and the woman starts screaming. So Harry Warden, what he does is he grabs the pole by both hands and shut and like forces it between both of them, and then blood drips from the from both of their mouth to make a heart. Oh, that's neat. <laughs> that would have been very cool to see, but the MPAA said no, and that footage was lost to time. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I think just off the top of my head, if I could go back in time and have the power to greenlight a sequel, I think. It'd probably be for my bloody Valentine. I can't really think of any other franchise that I would want a well, sequel to more. I think they really missed the mark with Harry Warden and how big he could have been. Well, it's kind of funny because they do mention during the Q&A in the special features that there is kind of like people always coming up with different ideas for a sequel. And they said they're just waiting for, you know, they're hoping to do a sequel one day. But I personally feel like... I don't want a sequel to My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking more like if we could go back to like 1983 and Greenlight one. You know, I would like to remake My Bloody Valentine by cutting out that uh, 2009 remake and actually like make a My Bloody Valentine movie. I think that 2009 one, it did. I think it had a lot of good stuff going for it, but I don't like the twist at the end. No, I don't. And I wish they, you know, they had a real opportunity to actually make the killer Harry Warden. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't need the you didn't need the bait and switch. You didn't need the twist that it wasn't Harry and it was just one of these kids. Right. Like make it Harry Warden and instead all they did was change up who the killer was this time. Yeah, I remember when we did that uh movie on uh, the old show. And I I hate the CGI yeah. blood. I hate the CGI blood in that movie. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've seen it. I need to go back and watch that one, too. But I'll be watching the original before anything. Yeah, I definitely want to do the original on the show at some point. Probably not sure when. I mean, it would probably make sense to do it around Valentine's Day, but I'm not good with uh, <laughs> I'm not good with putting stuff out at the time I should. <laughs> I hear you. So, That's why we did, uh, what, Halloween? Did we do that in November? I guess that's not too far off, though. So, I guess uh, if we want, we can go ahead and get into the movie. Sure. So, Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Or stylized on screen as Jason Lives, Friday the 13th, Part 6, wherever you want to say how it goes. Um, Release date was August 1st, 1986. Budget on this movie was $3 million, to, and it received a box office gross of $19.4 million. And is it so weird just to think of a movie being made for only $3 million? You, yeah. You, you, like, you look at all these movies today, and they're like $99 million, $100 million, and then they make back like $500 million to $1 billion. So yeah. Like, I think I'm of the mindset, like, the less amount of money you have means you have to be more creative, and you could probably make a better movie. It worked for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, 
on the old show me and Xander Kane would debate about. He'd be like, well, the movie probably wasn't any good because they didn't have enough money to make it. It's like, well, the Blair Witch Project only cost, you know, however many thousands of dollars. And it's a, you know, they made a, a, a game, a game changing movie. I think it's just all about the talent you have behind it. Um, so, so this movie, uh, this is actually one of the lowest grossing movies of the, uh, Friday the 13th film series. Did you say what month this came out? Uh, uh, this came out on August 1st of August. 86. Gotcha. Um. Right, and this is kind of like the, uh, Halloween 4 of the Friday the 13th franchise. There was no Jason in part five. Bring him back. Just like Halloween yeah, this was kind there of there like, was no Michael Myers. <laughs> Bring him this, back. The, this was kind of like a crash. This was like a crash course correction. Yeah, even though I love part five. Yeah, part five, you know, you know, a lot of you know, you you go on some of the pages now on like Facebook for Jason and that, and you see that part five gets quite a bit of love now. That's good. It's a sleazetastic good time. It is a good movie. I do like, well, not good in terms of production values, but it's a guilty pleasure. Speaking of the shit that's been cut out of Friday the 13th movies, I think probably part five and part seven were brutalized the most. I know part seven was. Uh, I think the guy that directed part seven went on, you know, went on the record doing interviews and said that the ratings board raped his movie. Yeah, John Carl Buechler, Beekler, however you say it. Yeah, he's a pretty well-known special effects guy. I think he just died. Here yeah, he passed. Ago. Yeah, he passed away. I think last year. Um, so this movie picks up uh, sometimes after the events of. Oh Pop boy, <laughs> you want to get in the timeline, Cordell? <laughs> the timeline of this series is so far. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> Um, I, the, I think by the time we get to part seven, we're like in the year two thousand something. Uh, meanwhile, the movie's set in what eighty eight or something. Uh, fun fact about this movie: uh, Kevin Williamson went to uh, Tom McLaughlin, who directed this movie, and told him that this movie gave him the inspiration be- behind Scream. Really? With I itself, thought Kevin Williamson guy was more of a inspired by halloween but yeah uh i think it changes on whoever he's talking to but he did tell he did tell tom mclaughlin that this kind of inspired him when he was uh making scream because of the like self-referential humor and everything Mm -hmm. Um, yeah jason jason looking at the severed arm all weird that old guy turning and looking at the camera they think I'm a fuckhead. <laughs> and then the kid's going, yeah! yeah! Oh, God. But, to be fair, this is the first uh, Friday you know, the 13th that, movie to actually have it, kids. You know, yeah, you're right. And now that I think about it, you know how there's uh, scenes that kind of cut? Like, do they think I'm a fuckhead? And the kid's going, yeah! And there's a couple other instances of that in this movie. But there's also an uh, instance in Friday the 13th Part 2 or something like that. Didn't they say, has anybody seen Muffin? And then they show somebody cooking something on the grill, like hot dogs oh, or something. Oh, yeah. They, I think they did do something like that. So, yeah, that's, that was already established on Friday the 13th. But, uh, 
So, this movie is... I'm just going to go off the bat and say that this is actually my favorite movie of the franchise. You're wrong, sir. I'm right by my standards. That's true. By your standards, <laughs> you are right. <laughs> um, something funny, uh, when I was talking to C.J. Graham, he was telling me that Tom McLaughlin's vision for this was to... Uh, Let make... me guess. Hold on. Let me guess. Kind of like a Universal Monster movie? Yes. Thank you. But the idea... You know how this movie gave birth to the term Zombie Jason? Uh-huh. Well, originally I don't think that was McLaughlin's intent. The idea was like when Jason, you know, comes back at the beginning of this, he's just kind of like lumbering like the Frankenstein monster. Yeah. But as the movie progresses, he's starting to pick up on shit. Uh, you know how people always bitch about Jason getting the uh, getting the um, utility belt? Oh, yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, C.J. Graham said that that was his Batman utility belt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, cool. He said that this was, a, this was a moment of Jason, you know, looking and learning. He's like, oh, this guy's got a belt and it's got... Weapons I can use to kill. I'm going to take that. <clears throat> yeah, I kind of see it as Jason was dead and buried. The lightning rod hits him. This is zombie Jason to me, even though I don't think he's really a zombie. He never really fucking eats anybody. But uh, And he's too self-aware to be a zombie. Zombies are just brainless, just going, you know, for food, just a survival instinct. I don't but, know. Uh, if you've seen some of the zombie shit they've been putting out now, like they've been making a lot of fucking zombie shit where the zombies are self-aware. It's like, what? Well, I'll tell you what. This is off track, but I don't remember if I brought it up last time. But there's a movie on Shudder called... I think I did, actually. One Cut of the Dead. Oh, it's so fucking good. Best zombie movie I've seen in a long time. But, uh, yeah, I think this is where Jason's undead. And I think... The, just thinking about the utility belt I'm thinking he's back and he's pissed off <laughs> so he's like you know what I want as many weapons as I can get and I'm going to just start fucking murking people um, this uh, this is the last movie of the series to feature Tommy Jarvis yep. um, portrayed in this one let's see look at the cast of this so we have Tom Matthews Tom Matthews is Tommy Jarvis. Tom Matthews was in another good horror movie, wasn't he? Wasn't he in Return of the Living Dead? Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and part two. Jennifer Cook as Megan Garris. So hot. Yeah, I, she's like the hot one of the hottest girls of the series. I don't know. I think uh, the remakes got that covered. Yeah, but, that, well, I mean, you can't... I don't so count here, the let's remakes. Go, okay, let's say, let's say one through eight. I would agree with you there. I don't I don't count the remake the remake though because that's just a given when you remake a movie you just get like the hottest you know young <laughs> the hottest you know young girls that you can settle bring in that teenage audience it's Perfect like nipple placement Cordell oh god come on that fucking line was so embarrassing yeah that guy's a douchebag <laughs> I'll tell you what of all the Friday the 13th movies there was nobody I wanted to see die more than that asshole oh no I don't know if anyone told you this baby you got perfect nipple placement I was like what that's how you turn ladies on Cordell you gotta have frizzled curly hair and tell them they got perfect nipple placement oof um you just don't know how to talk to a lady Cordell no I do not <laughs> <laughs> uh, David K- David Kagan as Sheriff Mike Garris. 
Very good. Very good actor. Carrie Noonan as Paula Mott. Renee Jones as Elizabeth Sissy Baker. Uh, Tom Fridley as Court, which I believe it was in the uh, Camp Crystal Lake Memories documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Fridley, I think, is the uh, nephew of John Travolta or something like that. Oh, so he's gay. <laughs> what, you're telling me John Travolta's straight? It's, I don't know what John Travolta is. <laughs> That's out of the bad guy. This old lady's dead. He's sucking dicks like a fucking circus seal. Uh, Darcy DeMoss, Nancy McLaughlin, uh, Tom's wife is in this. Oh, yeah, she's the uh, credit card lady. Yep. Uh, We also have, I would be criminal if I didn't mention Ron Palillo. Why am I blanking on that? Who's Ron Palillo? Uh, He was in that 80s sitcom, Welcome Back, Carter. (laughs) Mr. Carter, Mr. Carter, (laughs) oh my God, Mr. Carter. I think he played the character Horseshack. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Okay, I got you. Yeah, the the dude who's riding with Tommy to the cemetery. Who gets his um, motherfucking heart ripped out. And then also as Jason Voorhees, we have CJ Graham and another man by the name of Dan Bradley. Apparently Dan Bradley was the original man that they got to play Jason, but when Paramount saw the first dailies, they were like said, this, guy this guy's too pussy. fat. He's a pussy. No, they actually thought the guy was a little too big, like, yeah. like, fat wise. Sure, the man likes to have some forties. It's no reason to judge him for having a little beer belly. Well, uh, even though that he was let go from the Jason role, one of his scenes is still in the movie uh-huh. when J- the uh, the the part with the paintballers. Uh huh. All the day scenes, that's all Dan Bradley behind the mask. I'll be damned. You can't, to me, I couldn't tell the difference between the way they move or anything. Well, that was something that CJ told me was uh, people always just kind of assumed it was him wearing a padding when he got shot by the paintball. No, that's the other guy. (laughs) I'll be damned. I never even even thought about it. Um, So, we're going to go ahead, we're going to get into this movie. So, this movie starts, uh, one cold, dark night when the moon is full. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, we got a truck driving on the road, and we have Tom Matthews and Ron Pelillo in the truck, and they are driving somewhere. Tommy just looks fucking determined, and Ron Pelillo is just kind of like... Over in the corner, just... Oh, yeah, thinking about it. Speaking of timeline. I can't believe we're doing this, Tommy. You know, if the institution found out we were doing this, they would lock us up there in straitjackets. So are we assuming Tommy is out of the mental institution and on his own, or is he just leaving the mental institution to go do this? No, he has been released. Okay. Um, Now, originally, this was supposed to be the character Reggie, the, the Ron Palillo character was supposed to be Reggie from, from Pop oh, Pie. That, that would have been interesting. But his dad, when they found out that the character was going to get his heart whipped out by Jason, he's like, you're <laughs> killing my kid. You're killing been, my kid. That would have been awesome. <laughs> it's funny because in the uh, Crystal Lake Memories 
the guy that played Reggie was like one of the only few brothers to ever survive Jason. He ain't wrong. God bless him. So we see uh, Tommy. He's talking about needing to send Jason back to hell where he belongs. You know, what's funny about this whole thing, Cordell, if Tommy never would have went and dug him up, he'd still be there. Yeah. So, but, like, every fucking death in this movie really is Tommy's fault. Really is. So, at the end of the day, the villain of this movie is Tommy. You know what? If Tommy had actually just dug him up and just lit his ass on fire and didn't leave the... First of all, why would you leave the fucking pole in him after stabbing him? I would have put my pole in him. That would have been awesome. But if you would have just dug him up, opened him up, set him on fire, yep. and called it a day. No, nope, he had to go and uh, commit some bully- police brutality on Jason's corpse. <laughs> so we get uh, they get to the cemetery, and they find uh, Jason's grave, which you know they try to make it they try to make it sound in the in part five that he had gotten cremated, but we find out in this one that. The cremation was a, like, a hoax or something. Well, you also got to, I always just kind of assumed that was chopped up to Jason's kind of a town legend. And there's probably a lot of stories about Jason swirling out there like, oh, they never found the body. Oh, no, he was cremated or, you know, no, he's buried up uh, by the old fucking barn or, you know, just shit like that. So they dig him up and... They open up the coffin, and, you know, he looks pretty good for a dead guy. Oh, yeah. Maggots all over his face. Yeah, very cool makeup. One of my favorite looks of Jason ever. But my favorite, you know what my favorite look of Jason is? uh, Which one? Part 7. You know what? Even though the timeline of the series is all fucked up, I do like that as the movies go, the makeup... the progression mm-hmm. of the makeup. They just look at the makeup of the previous movie and then they just add to it. Well, so much time has passed, so now it's like this, but even more fucked up. Oh, and it's cool as it goes to like uh, Jason goes to hell. Like the last time we saw Jason, he was drowning a vat of acid in the New York sewers. And it shows because his head's all bubbled and the mask is like melted to his face. Yeah, it's very cool how they progress with the makeup. With the exception, you know, I like part eight, but you can definitely tell that they don't follow the makeup following part seven. No, he's no longer missing like the chunk of his face missing. I think the only thing they really do is, you know, Jason is, uh, God damn, how how the fuck? He's like a slimy version of. Yeah, he's basically a slug. I was trying to think where he ended up at the end of part seven because that house explodes. He's like a. Her dad comes up, pulls him down. So I guess he is underwater because that's where he comes back in part eight. So, yeah, they're just making him look all waterlogged and shit. But what I'm just saying, when he takes off the mask, you know, you he's clearly got a full mouth. Like, there's no teeth showing down in the side. Like oh, yeah. Part yeah, seven. Right. yeah, part eight fucked it up, kind of. But Jason goes to hell. Uh, redeemed it. So... Tommy is sitting there and he's looking at uh, Jason's corpse and we kind of hear like... And the strangest thing happens. He pulls down his pants and starts jerking off, which I was not expecting, Cordell. Big fucking just splooge right out onto Jason's face. (laughs) 
take that, Jason, you cockstang. <laughs> <laughs> and then Horshack's like, if he's going to jerk off, I'm going to jerk off too. So he starts whacking it. Weirdest fucking scene I've ever, I think I've ever seen in my life. Tommy, if the institution caught us doing this, they'd throw us there straight. <laughs> if they caught us jerking off on Jason Voorhees' corpse, they put us right back in there. I, what, you know what makes this scene even weirder? The fact what? that he's thinking about the fact that Tommy was thinking about Jason and his sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we kind of get like this. Uh, what I'm just gonna assume is in Tommy's head. We get like a little bit of uh, voices from Part Four, with his sister screaming him at him to stop, and <laughs> we got. Did we just uh, go to Rob Zombie's Friday the Thirteenth? <laughs> yeah, we got like. We got, we just hear like young Tommy screaming, die, as the machete hits Jason's body. Mm. So this is where Tommy completely fucking loses his shit. He goes over to a section of the pool, which what kind of cemetery is this? They don't even keep the place maintenanced. I don't know. Have you seen some cemeteries in Chicago? They put like people in the wrong graves and shit. Budget cuts, man. Yeah. Um... So, he grabs a... Well, I'll tell you what uh, kind of cemetery it is, Cordell. Have you seen the fucker that runs it? <laughs> <laughs> that old he's, he's drunk all the time. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, he picks up a pole from the uh, fencing, and he just starts going to town on Jason's body, just... Notice how he like penetrate. He keeps penetrating Jason down in like the stomach area, like real close to his dick. Well, yeah, trying to take away his manhood, I guess. He just and, and I love Von Palillo at this point. Horshack's just kind of sitting there, like yeah, he starts like, stabbing his body. With this guy? He's just like, oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Don't piss off that corpse. Hmm. So, once finally gets some of that aggression out, he climbs out. Uh, Horshack goes, he must have really fucked you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tommy picks up the hockey mask, throws it, and goes, yeah, fuck you, Jason. Mm-hmm. So, he goes over to get the gas, because they brought gas with him to light him on fire. And lightning start, strikes at... Like the worst fucking timing in a movie. A storm's coming, lightning strikes, and we get this really cool visual effect of lightning going down the pole and revitalizing Jason's body. Yeah, good way to bring him back. I got no complaints with that. I re- I do like. I just like the. I just like that look. How it looks like you just see like the pole just glowing blue from the electricity mm-hmm. and like these crackles of electricity over Jason's body. Yeah, very cool. So, uh, actually, lightning strikes twice, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Tommy, realizing that he just fucked up big time, uh, puts his gloves on and tries to take the pole out of Jason's body. And as he's climbing out, Jason pops up and tries to play 
tries to get in a game of, of grab ass. Yeah, I like the way Jason's face looks, and she's got cobwebs in there too, which is very cool. You know what? That is one of the things that I am very upset that we don't get a clear look at Jason's face in this. Like we see it in shadow, we see it covered up by maggots and cobwebs. I don't know. I think we get a good enough look at it. Well, yeah, when he turns around and looks at Hawes, but... I mean, you don't get, like, a clear fucking daylight version like you do at the end of Part 3. Or Part 7 in the house. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. But, you know, if you see some of, like, the masks that have come out since this movie, like all those hoods people make for, like, cosplaying, Mm -hmm. or, like, when you look at the props that were made after the movie, it's pretty impressive looking. I like it. Yeah. So... Uh, Tommy manages to get out. He kind of like kicks Jake, Jason back into his grave. And I like it when Jason kind of like stumbles and falls backwards. You hear like this squishing sound, like Jason fell on a whole shit ton of maggots. <laughs> yep, really did. So Jason he stands up, gets out of the grave, and Tommy just starts trying to furiously pour gasoline on him. And I don't think he did a pretty good job. Like, there was gas going everywhere except on Jason. Yeah, I can talk about inconvenient lightning. How about this inconvenient rain? (laughs) (laughs) He just gets the, like, the moment he strikes the match. I don't know if it was God or Satan, but they were like, no. Well, we've already established Tommy is the villain, so God's saying, no, you, sir, must die. So we get, like, this awkward moment. Like, Jason's just staring at Tommy. Tommy's just staring at Jason. It's just kind of like this awkward moment. Like, I'm trying to figure out what's going through Jason's mind at this point. He's thinking, that's that little motherfucker who hacked me apart with a machete. And then in the background, we get... Hey, speaking of continuity, did Jason lose fingers in part four, or did his hand just get split? His hand got split, but okay. we don't really ever see that, like, hamper him in any of the sequels, because he's always wearing, like, in this movie, he wears gloves, and then part seven, like, his hand is mostly all bone. Yeah. So we don't really see how that hampers him. So, Ron Palillo's character comes up behind him. You know, you got, like, this badass killer just came back from the face, <laughs> this zombie. gets hit in the head with a shovel. That <laughs> <laughs> shit always me. <laughs> Hawes comes up, goes, ah, and just fucking sends that bitch full force across yeah, the back of Jason's WWF head. WWF style attitude and it just right across the, the shit, like, fucking head. Yeah. Who's going to win, the head or the shovel? This, the, head the, head, the head clearly won. <laughs> the yeah. shovel just breaks in half. Jason ain't having this shit. He just got woken up. He's mad. So he just turns around and just sends his hand full force right through Hawes' chest and with his heart in his hand. And that is one of that is my favorite kill of this movie. That's just about to say that. I was just sitting here thinking that that's gotta be gotta be my favorite kill of the movie as well. There are some other kills that come later that are up there, but this one is my fa- favorite. And CJ Graham was telling me that uh This scene was supposed to be a lot bloodier and a lot gorier, but the MPA stepped in. Like, you see see the hand with the heart, and the heart was supposed to be just jerking blood off everywhere. Just blood just shooting everything out of it. It's a shame. I wish they, they, I wish they, I guess VHS was a thing back then, but 
I just wish they would have knew that one day, you know, all that extra footage would have found a home somewhere, you know. Um, I'm trying to think. And they, I wish they would have realized too, like directors know now, whatever you want to get by the MPAA, make it 10 times worse than what you really want. And then well, what you really want will just slide right off by. Like well, if, you wanna, if you want to, if you want to show a heart beating and slinging blood, have like four guys with their dicks out, you know, in the background. They'll be like, God damn, cut that shit out and you can have your heart there. Well, uh, apparently the, the scene was extended where Jason drops the heart to the ground and then there was supposed to be like a scene where we see Jason like accidentally step on the heart. Oh, that's cool. Which was that ever filmed or was that just an idea? I remember it being filmed of the heart hitting the ground, but not him stepping on it. See, we were supposed to know he stepped on it because we were supposed to hear a loud squish. Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, I think that would have helped because later on in the film, when Tommy gets arrested right at Jason's grave, you know, you'd think someone would be look like look off to the side and be like, hey, why the fuck is there a human heart right there? See, that would have been cool, too, yeah. You're like, Oh, like, whenever Tommy is, like, leading the sheriff back out there during a chase, like, they yeah. go out there and they don't see anything, and as they're, like, walking yeah. away, the camera pans back and there's just a heart laying there. <laughs> yeah, like... That would have been cool. So, obviously at this point, Tommy is like, he's fucked. He tries to go get help. And we get this really cool opening of Jason. He puts on the hockey mask, turn towards the camera, and we get our first reference, pop culture reference, James Bond. Jason Bond. The name's Jason. The name's Bond. Yeah, James but, Bond. you know, talking about what we... What what was uh, kind of cut out of that kill scene? I, I still think it's pretty fucking great. So, god damn it, I'll be right back. I have to go grab a pop. Okay. All this talking is making me like fucking cotton mouth. All these pretzels are making me thirsty. Uh, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, as we go get some soothing uh, refreshments. Mm. <laughs> I'll be right back, Tyler. Okay. had a nice uh, confrontation at the record store earlier today. Say what? I said I had a nice confrontation at the record store today. Oh, what <laughs> happened? I was wearing my Joe Biden shirt and some dude got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> we had a little argument. <laughs> oh, God damn it, get over it, you crazy redneck. Oh, you my are- God. It was interesting. I thought I was going to have to fight right there at a record store in front of the kids. Oh, my God. I would pay money to see that. (laughs) So, Jason uh, puts on the hockey mask. We get the opening titles. And then, you know, Tommy's really not helping his case here. He runs into the police station and... 
tries talking to uh, Sheriff Garris and his deputy, Deputy Rick Cologne. <laughs> I never knew that was his name, I don't think. <laughs> no, that is his name. I didn't know, I'm just saying, I don't think I ever knew that. <laughs> Dude, I hate this character so much. <laughs> He's a fucking asshole. Like, I actually like the Sheriff character, he's just kind of like being wary around this guy, and this fucking deputy's just like acting all suave. Um, yes. Why did Tommy go to the cops anyways? It seemed like he was there to handle business, you know. He was there to fucking kill Jason once and for all. Now he's being a bitch and wants help. Well, here's the you know here's the biggest fucking problem. If you go into a cop shop and you say, "Yeah, I just like, like committed you know desecration of a grave." <laughs> I just dug up a serial killer's corpse and tried to set it on fire. <laughs> like <laughs> That's like me and you running to the police station. I just dug up Jeffrey Dahmer. Lightning hit the corpse. He's alive. <laughs> like, that's not gonna, like, they're not just gonna let you walk. You know, even if they give you that Jason's back, they're still gonna lock you up. For... By the way, we totally didn't jerk off on the corpse. That semen was there when we got there. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you find at the scene is not mine. <laughs> oh my god! I just—that's the one thing nobody ever talks about that I just was yeah. thinking. So Never why, even thought like, about it. Like you—you you can't just say that you just dug up a corpse because that's—they're still gonna lock you up for that. Yeah, no shit. So yeah, I, you know it's—it's it's funny that, that that shit never even crosses the sheriff's mind. Really, he's just like. All right, so he dug up Jason, and Jason, he, he's more concerned about the fact that this guy's crazy because he thinks Jason's alive. Yeah, not the fact that he just dug up a corpse. And they even, like, he even brings it up. He, you know, he recognizes Tommy Jarvis. He rec- he knows Tommy's story. Uh, and I really think he was, you know, and that's what I was saying. I think he was just going to, like, tell Tommy to get the hell out of his cop yeah. shop until Tommy yeah, went felt, for the shotguns. Yeah, he felt bad for him because he knew, yeah, his mom and sister were murdered. No, his sister wasn't though. Like they don't make like they know. I don't his think it's very is. clear. Is oh yeah, that's right. She is because she's there while he's hacking at the body. It's the mom that's not really clear what happened. I think that was a cut scene too, wasn't it, Cordell? Wasn't she supposed to be found dead in the bathtub? Yeah, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I think so. There's so many different cut scenes throughout this series. I've gotten lost. Oh, Paying the ass. So, Tommy, you know. Instead of just instead of just being like, well, I'm gonna have to take care of this myself. He tries to steal the cop's gun. Right. He tries to pull. You know, I'm not even gonna say it. That's that's a terrible joke. Uh, I'm curious <laughs> now. <laughs> uh, he tries to say it. He tries to he tries to pull a Michael Brown. Oh yeah. You're going to hell, Cordell. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I should be asking God forgiveness or the NAACP. Uh, probably all of them. Probably. So, at this point, the sheriff and them, they get they get him into a cell. And Garris tells Tommy, nobody wants to remember what that maniac did around here. That's why we changed the name from Camp Crystal Lake to... Forest Green. Yeah, Forest Green. It's about to become Forest Red here pretty quickly. No shit. 
<laughs> so while all this is going on, we uh, we meet uh, two camp counselors, uh, Darren and Elizabeth, played by Tony Goldwyn and Nancy McLaughlin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like the the head people running. Or they they were supposed to be the people running the show, right? And the other counselors were confused because they never showed up. Yeah, they're supposed to trying to make their way to the camp. Yeah, and I love this fucking shit when they inch towards Jason. And it's like, but then they're like completely fucking lost, and this guy's just trying to be all macho about it, like we ain't lost. <laughs> and then she just hits the brakes. Why are you stopping? Because I've seen enough horror movies to know that a man in a mask is never friendly. Right. And I love that shit. Whatever. Don't they try to charge at him and he doesn't fucking move and then like bashes one of their headlights out. (laughs) Yeah. They like charge at him and then they just stop like right instance for him and they're like, oh yeah, that really scared him. (laughs) Yeah. And then he like hits out the fucking tail light. She's like, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm just going to scare him. You're going to scare him. (laughs) Pulls out a gun out of the fucking uh, out of the fucking glove box. She's like, "Where'd you get that?" <laughs> you ain't dirty, Harry. You know, do you ever notice how dirty Harry pops up as like the end joke for a lot of like these people with like big ass guns or like yeah, dirty Harry's kind of like doesn't the- that pop. Like, I think that joke popped up in Beverly Hills Cop 2 as well. There's always go-to people. Like, for a long time, it was, if you're rich, you know, you ain't no Donald Trump. Or, yeah, and it's like, if you got a bunch of guns, you ain't no Dirty Harry. There's always, like, figures that kind of represent money or guns or, do you know, like, Chuck Norris is a badass or no Chuck Norris. Just people like that. You know, I think it's funny. Donald Trump went from being a go-to for rich people, and now he's going to be a go-to for, like, Asshole ruler, uh, uh, political leader. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he's going to a leader of a prison. So we get uh, so this guy he gets out of the um car and he's like just kind of trying to threaten Jason. Like I don't even know what this like. This guy's like just going in without a plan. Like. Yeah, he's just winging it. He's just going to whip out this gun. And what a pussy gun, Cordell. I don't even think that gun could put me down. It's like a snub-nosed pistol he's got. I don't even think that's a twenty-two. What's less? Than, is there anything less than a twenty-two? I don't know much about guns. <laughs> I, neither do I. I just know that they're fun to shoot. That, that looked like a starter pistol you use in a track meet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He might as well have grabbed one of my kids' Nerf guns. You know what? Funny story, it probably was. That's probably why I had the gun. It was supposed to be like a starting pistol oh, yeah, you're for like, probably activities right, yeah. at the camp. Yeah. Just in case a turtle got out of hand to try to attack one of the kids, he could put that turtle down with that pussy-ass gun. Oh, my gosh. That's like the... That gun looked like the starting... Like, you know how, like, when you start a new video game, they give you, like, this shitty-ass... Oh, like, yeah. ass weapon to start out with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that gun. <laughs> yeah. It's like the noisy cricket from Men in Black, but without the kick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The noisy cricket seems like a boss weapon. No, it is. I'm just saying it, it just looks that like it, but it doesn't quite have the kick of the noisy cricket. So, Jason's not having none of this shit anymore. Um, so he spears uh, Darren. And we get like this cool blood splatter effect across the windshield. 
Um, and he just like picks Dan up and just flings him right over. Like, nope, I'm done with you. And Launch that motherfucker into orbit. So then he goes after Elizabeth. Uh, and I'm not sure if you already know this, but uh, at this, so all the nighttime scenes were C.J. Graham. Right. After uh, they let earlier. So, and um, C.J. Graham was in the army uh, for a few years prior to getting this role. Mm-hmm. He is a military man, so he was supposed to kind of shoot the spear into the uh, car, into the driver's seat. But his uh, military training kicked in, and as she went to duck, that pole followed her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember hearing about this. So he almost, he literally almost skewered uh, Nancy McLaughlin's wife. She was about to get nailed by two guys. <laughs> God <damn> <laughs> <Cornell>. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember hearing that story. Yeah, about how that spear just fucking missed her. I couldn't remember if it was the part where the it was going through the car window or if it was whenever her face was down by that puddle if the spear just missed her there. Well, uh, CJ did say that he was very honored to work with these people because they gave him a lot of trust for some of the stunts that he had to do with them physically. Mm-hmm. So, like, her put, like, she actually put her head underwater for that scene when mm-hmm. he spews her in the head. So, she, I don't even know why she climbs out of the fucking vehicle. Like, she doesn't, it's not like she tries running and falling. She just climbs out of the vehicle. I don't know. I, like, I probably would have fucking tried to gun it with a flat tire and get the fuck out of there. Like, that's the part I don't get. Like, she climbs out of the vehicle, like, on her hands and knees. It's not like the spear, like, pierced her in the leg or anything. Mm-hmm. So she's, like, out there. She's lying on her back. Jays is nowhere. And then he, like, just kind of jumps out of nowhere. I don't know if he was, like, hiding in a tree. I think he's just fucking with her. But... He pops down and he puts it right into her face, plant submerging her head underwater into a giant puddle, and we get the "Don't leave home without it" card, the yeah. American Express. Yeah. So uh, the next morning, uh, we uh, Tommy is awoken by uh, in the jail cell. Uh, the sheriff's daughter is coming in with her friends. Uh, they're, they're on their way to camp to open up the camp, but they go to her dad to let him know that Darren and Elizabeth are missing. And we get a reference to Halloween uh, in this movie when the sheriff says uh, he'll he'll send he'll people down like Carpenter Road oh, yeah. to go look for him. Is this another one of the movies with a bunch of directors' last names? Um, I think it is, because what was the sheriff's last name? Uh, Sheriff Garris. Garris. Mick Garris, maybe. Um, I know we get Karloff's convenience store later on, yeah. which was a, which is a reference to that. Right. So, um... Tommy, yeah, and this is where uh, Tommy makes uh, fucky eyes at the sheriff's daughter. Well, 
I don't think. See, I don't think at this point Tommy's really giving a shit about anything. He's well, not giving a shit about any, women. If, if anything, she's making fucky eyes at him. I guess I should have said. So Tommy speaks up. He he tells them that their friends are most likely dead. Jason's alive. <laughs> um, but obviously they don't. You know. The you know the sheriff is like. He's not happy. He's trying to tell her not not to listen to him. He's crazy. Megan, she starts developing a wet spot to, uh, to Tommy, though. Wow. Um, you just get it in that scene where she's like slowly walking over to him, like all seductively and shit. Yeah, they like, totally got her cans out in this movie. They fucked up. So. But they don't really believe him they, because Jason at this point is just an urban legend. So we cut to the woods where we, there is a paintball game going on. We get... Uh, um, a bunch of office fuckers out on a team. Yeah, I was like, I'm not even sure what these people do for a living. Yeah, I think they just work in an office like accountants or some shit, and they go out there and play paintball for How team fun would that office job be? Like, you just go in there, file, shuffle some papers, and then be just get invited to a paintball game. I don't know, man. Like, I've never heard of some... I've never heard of a fucking corporate paintball game in my life. I don't know. It'd be fun. I've never been paintball, but it looks fun. So, you got these two bumbling idiots. Um... Trying to trying to find their names in the credits here because I can't even remember these guys' names. Nobody does. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the. I, all I remember this, is one of the steroid guy. You got nerdy glasses guy, and you got the chick. And then you have I, all I know is you got Bert. One of them is Bert. Bert's probably the nerdy one. So, you got these two guys. They're walking, and. Suddenly they get shot by this woman who's out there and tells them to put on their dead headbands. And they ask him, well, where are the other two? And she mentions that she already got one of them. And it cuts to this angry, very angry, misogynistic son of a bitch just hacking (laughs) his face for Steroid guy. (laughs) (laughs) Damn woman, Dude, shouldn't be allowed so- out here. Should be in the kitchen. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I've been wired for months. Should yeah. stay in the kitchen where she belongs. Won't you be allowed at these games? It's mm-hmm. like preach, brother. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Jason is very much against. I think Jason is. Jason will kill women, but he is an avid supporter of the feminist movement because he will. Well, goddamn, de- Cordell, we let these women out of the kitchen. What's next? They're going to be able to own land and vote? I don't think so. Oh, we're way past that. They're already holding office. Are you serious? I'm dead serial. Get my senator on the phone. <laughs> you pick up and your senator as a woman. <laughs> yeah. What's this about bitches being able to vote and own land? <laughs> What's this all about? <laughs> And then you like get like a ten minute lecture why women why the women's suffrage movement is a good thing and to vote Put Hillary Clinton on the phone. Why are you <laughs> raping all those children, ma'am? Oh God. Okay, we're gonna we gotta reroute this. We know your secrets in your pizza place. 
Is it a Bill's Pizza? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If anybody's <laughs> raping kids, it's Bill's, not Hillary. <laughs> uh, Bill's Pizza Place. <laughs> you got the Lewinsky special. <laughs> yeah, extra sour cream, please. <laughs> That's so fucking nasty. <laughs> oh, God. So that's what Pizza Hut puts on their pizza. Let's say you sucked the president's dick, Cordell. And you were wearing a dress while you were doing it, okay? The president ejaculates on your dress. Would you save that dress? I mean, it'll have nostalgic value. Or the- <laughs> <laughs> Go open up the closet and look at my cum stained dress <laughs> when I blew the president. Just oh, kind of put it in an airtight bag and then just put it on display. <laughs> and then when people ask, like, only you know the story. When people ask, you just tell them that you spilled sauce. I just like the visual you are in a dress sucking Bill Clinton's dick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. How- look- how Ballsack makes his money is his business. I don't think That's care. true. If anybody's sucking Bill Clinton's dick, it's Ballsack. So, uh, Megan and her friends, they arrive at the camp as um, as the kids do. You the know, children. they're alone. And they're like, she's asking them if they really believe the legend of Jason and, you know, all that kind of legend stuff that we get in slasher movies. You know, she's kind of like, I'm just glad we don't get like, you know, like crazy Ralph in this. Although I like crazy Ralph. You still there? Oh no, I'm here. Sorry. I put you on mute for a second. I had to walk to the living room. The kids were playing video games, being assholes. Oh, no, I was just saying that uh, Megan... No, I don't thought, know. I, 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 I'd go for some crazy Ralph action. You know, I mean... Because, you know, Slashers at that time always had something like that. You know, we had crazy I Ralph. Tommy, I guess we Tommy had, is crazy Ralph at the end of the day in this movie. We had Happy and My Bloody Valentine. You know, like all this legend stuff. And then someone, yeah. and then someone goes, you know what's even scarier than Jason? And we see the bus pulling up with all these kids. They ain't wrong. So, first, uh, Garrus decides to uh, escort Tommy out of town, out of his jurisdiction, uh, in his own truck. And we, you know, Sheriff is telling his deputy that, you know, Jason really fucked this kid up and... Deputy's like, he really believes Jason's back, doesn't he? And the de- and the sheriff's like, that's not my concern. My concern is that he could actually, like, believe it and actually how far is he willing to go to convince everybody. Right. So this is where Tommy leads the... Don't you think that's true, though, Cordell? Don't you think uh, Tommy is the fucking crazy Ralph of this movie? He's the one running around trying to scare the hell out of everybody. He's crazy Ralph. He's Dr. Loomis trying to tell people that how bad Jason is, that he's back and he's here, but he just doesn't carry the same weight that Dr. Loomis or crazy Ralph does. No. You know, when Doctor when when it's Dr. Loomis, you know, he's you know, he you get a sense of how bad Michael Myers is and what Crazy Ralph does it, it's almost like for comedic effect. Yeah. 
But we really don't need Tommy telling us how bad Jason is because we've seen it the past couple movies. We just saw him rip a motherfucker's heart out. Mm-hmm. So, Tommy leads the cops on a uh, Dukes of Hazards chase. For sure. He's just, like, cutting all through all the roads, and he just cuts across the fields. And I love how, like, I love when they get to the cemetery. The cemetery. Uh, Tommy's just, like, zigzagging across the fucking cemetery and shit. Like, that'd be cool if he would, like, mow down a bunch of tombstones. But he finally gets tackled. Um, he gets, ta- he finally gets tackled, and he finds that the grave has been covered up by the drunken caretaker. <laughs> yeah. Because we got a scene earlier in the movie where the caretaker came and found the grave covered up. And uh, this is where we get the, some folks have a strange idea of entertainment while he looks at the camera. So Tommy's telling him that it's not Jason buried down there, it's his friend and he needs to dig it back up. And this is where we get the, does they think I'm a fart head? Yes! Um, so Tommy uh, get is handcuffed and he gets escorted out of town by Garris personally who tells him not to come back. And, um, you know, you when you reviewed this movie... You said something, and I had to go and uh, I had to go and rewatch it to make sure that the that the sheriff didn't say this. Okay. You made a joke that the sheriff, if Tommy ever came back, the sh- the sheriff the sheriff was gonna stick a nightstick up his ass or something. <laughs> <laughs> something like. That. Let me guess. He didn't say that. <laughs> no, but at the time I thought he did say that, and I was about to be like, what? <laughs> That sounds like some shit I'd say. So, <laughs> so later that night, um, you get these two nameless random couple, this random couple that pull up on a mini bike. And doesn't the guy look like the guy we just saw earlier in the car? Yeah, I don't. It looks similar to me. I just. Well, here's the thing. Was Tom McLaughlin originally wanted 13, 13 kills in this movie for symbolic, you know, to make it symbolic. Yeah. But the um, studio was like, no, we need more kills. We need more kills. So this couple and the, there was a couple other characters plus uh, the caretaker getting killed. Right. Because the caretaker was supposed to survive, but we'll get to that at the end. Yeah. So, I don't know what this couple is doing. It looks like they're trying to have a picnic, but he's also As, trying to propose, and yeah. then they're about to make love. You don't, like, this couple's all over the place. He's going to propose to her and then fuck her right up her ass right there in the middle of the woods. It's going to be hot. So, you get uh, the caretaker. He's fucking just plastered. Yeah, that's going to be me in 20 years. He's, I don't even know, like, do we ever know what he's actually drinking? Do we ever get a good look uh, at the bottle? It's either, it's either brandy, 
or yeah, something like that. Whiskey or maybe brandy. I don't know. Either way, he's hitting that fucking thing hard. Goddamn right, Cordell. You gotta forget. Like, you know, this guy in his youth must have had big dreams and something shat all over him, and now he's like taking care of dead people. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't know if he had big dreams or not, he's from Crystal Lake. <laughs> I think he's just happy to be alive and he hadn't been killed by the crazy fucker in the hockey mask yet. So, he looks at the bottle, he finishes it, and he just starts laughing and goes, You're gonna be the death of me. And then he tries to litter. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing Jason hates his motherfucker littering in his woods. And he turns around because he doesn't hear the glass shatter, which, you know, that's, like, I've thrown, like, you know, I've thrown glass, like, on the ground before and it didn't shatter. Yeah. Like, not to litter, but, like, moving stuff in that. I've thrown, like, a glass bottle on the ground and it didn't break. It just makes a thud. Why don't you go outside, throw a glass bottle in the air, and see what happens? Well, it might break with it being this cold as it is outside. So, he turns around, and Jason has his bottle, and he just kind of twists his fingers and snaps the bottle in half, and then just shanks the motherfucker right in his throat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that would have been a good time for a slash across the throat and the throat opened up and a bunch of blood pouring out. And so, even though he's got glass in his throat, he still manages to scream, and this gets the attention of the couple that are out making love. Yeah, he's out finger-banging. So the guy kind of goes to investigate, and he walk and he walks over to see Jason like trying to hack the body apart. And I kind of like, I always kind of laughed at this. You kind you see Jason like trying to yeah. swing it, and he looks so robotic as he's doing it. Yeah, I the way he like he looks the way, weird. The way he kind of looks and turns at the guy. Yeah, it's kind of unnatural. It's weird. So they're getting ready to get on the bike and go away, but Jason appears out of nowhere and just impales them both. Kind of a cheap kill. Yeah, I think that was just there, like you said, to up the body count. Not, not, not even much of our, like, the only blood we get out of this is, like, a little bit of blood comes out of the woman and drips over the guy's shoulder. Yeah, they could have went part five on that, double decapitation. It would have been cool, like, you, you know what? After watching Silent Night, Deadly Night, that would have been much cooler it would have been a lot cooler, too, if we could have saw the uh, triple decapitation earlier in the woods. Oh, shit. I completely just fucking skipped over all of that. We got to talk about that. Oh, yeah. shit. There's I not got, much to talk about. None of the kills are... I mean, he rips that one guy's arm off and looks at it all fucked up, and then one yeah, guy's he, face he rips the, He rips the arm off the uh, misogynistic guy, sends the guy like, who, who the fuck put a smiley face on the tree? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus has blessed this <laughs> So go the, to uh, the the triple decapitation not being there kind of sucks. Now, I have a question for you. Was there a branch sticking out that impaled the guy's face or did the guy's face just hit the tree and cause it to become a bloody mess? See, I thought there was a branch sticking out, but then they cut to the smiley face, so I don't know. And there's no branch, so I've always been kind of 
So he's yeah, dead. Fuck up! I don't know. I I, I I need to watch it again to watch it more closely to tell for sure. The, so it cuts to the woman, those two uh, paintballers. They're kind of like walking around looking for uh, the nerd. And Jason pops out of the tree and we get this really cool decapitation. Now, there was a lot more to this kill, too. You were actually supposed to see, like, the knees buckle. Oh. And and then you saw the heads actually hit the ground. You're talking about the triple decapitation? Yes. Yeah, was that film, do you remember? Yes, actually, that was film. You do see the knees buckle and everything. Okay. So, I thought this, but... About that, the couple on the bike, that would have been a really cool, like, after watching Silent Night, Deadly Night, like, if they had actually taken off on the bike, and then Jason just comes out of nowhere and, like, does a double decapitation. Yeah, can't ever have too many of those. And then you just get this headless, these two headless bodies just riding a bike until it crashes. Yeah, just squirting blood out of the top of their stub. That would have been awesome. That would have been tits. So, we get this, and then we go on to our next murder, which is Court. Uh, How are we not getting those boobies out, Court? Yeah, this is the one Friday movie that has no nudity at all. (laughs) We gotta get some boobies out. Not not that I necessarily want to see her boobies, but come on, let's get some out. So, Court, he's going, and he has sex with some random chick in this RV... I think she says it's her dad's RV. Yeah. Like, and we don't even find out who this, we don't even find this, know this chick's uh, name. Well, she was there at the beginning whenever the kids showed up. Was she? I don't. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I, but the she credits. She was part of, the, part of the group. But the credits list her as Nicola Nikki Parsley. Yeah, Nikki. Fucking some Parsley, man. Put that on my fucking steak and mmm. What the fuck are you talking about? You got to put A1 sauce on that steak. Yeah, but you had a little bit of parsley to add no, flavor. fuck that. You don't want no <laughs> green shit on your meat, man. You don't want to, like, Gordon Ramsay this shit? Fuck no. Man, I just had some Chipotle earlier. I know oh, Gordon Ramsay is a cook, but can we get him, like, just critiquing, like, Jason's kills? Like That'd be cool. Like, just screaming at Jason, saying, like... This decapitation is so... <laughs> Bloody fucking hell. So, they're in there. They're, like, having sex to some to the song Animal. Okay. Uh, by... Uh, what's the... I actually like the soundtrack to this. Nine Inch Nails. This uh, it's called I'm No Animal by the band Felony. Oh, okay. So, they're... Just having uh, a, just, she's enjoying herself. He looks like he's in pain. I think he's about ready to bust a nut and knows he can't. And she, t- and she tells him, like, you have to, you have to last this song for five more minutes. And he just kind of looks at her and goes, bitch, what'd you say? Yeah, my going rate's <laughs> about two and a half minutes. No thanks. <laughs> I just fucking love the look on his face when she says that. Yeah, he should have told her the female orgasm's a myth anyway. So let's wrap this up. So Jason, he comes over and he just kind of like tilts his head Michael style at the RV. You know, he don't like people fucking in his woods. Nope, vans are rocking, but he came and knocking. <laughs> so we, so I always laugh at this part. He goes up to the cord that's uh, got the lights. He just 
yanks it out, and you just hear her in the darkness go, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah. And she's like, Court, you didn't. <laughs> and he did. Mm, well. If Jason didn't kill her, she would have been heading down to the old Smith Morrison clinic the next week. Yeah, I was about I was just about to say, you know, birth control is not gonna do much for her here in the next few minutes. That's a double kill. She has a fetus in her. So they go out to see what the hell caused it and the fucking like wires just fucked. Yeah, goddamn like, raccoon. Like he didn't just pull that thing out. He fucking like took the plug off of the wire and like wires are just spewing everywhere out of the tip. Yeah. So She's like, what if it's that Jason guy? <laughs> and she's like, and Nikki's just like, I don't know, and I don't want to find out. Fuck no. So they decide to get the hell out of Dodge. He goes to drive, and then he just fucking, like, just starts riffing it. Like, he's sending her all over the fucking place. She goes flying backwards into the room. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised she didn't die from his driving ability. Yeah, like if Jason didn't kill her, this she wasn't gonna survive the drive the Fuck drive no. back to town. So she's like trying to make it back up to the front seat, and Jason pops out of the bathroom, and he's uh, Court's got the music up so loud he can't hear what's going on, but she's screaming for him, trying screaming for help. Jason's trying to fucking get a grab on this bitch, and she's just like <laughs> she's putting up a fight. So Jason decides, fuck it, and he just takes her by the head and just slams her face into the wall, leaving a nice imprint. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I forgot how they said, like, they did that. I think they said they filmed that, like, underwater. Like, they like they had, like, a something, like a material, and they were shooting, like, through the water, and then they pressed her face down. Yeah, it might be like a Night Round Elm Street situation where they use, like, spandex or something and pushed her face yeah. through it or something. I love Court's line. He's like, Nikki, what are you doing? Taking a dump in there? Like, this guy's as weird. Like, you you know, he can't survive five minutes doing sex. Well, who the hell can? And then he wants to know, like, if she's taking a dump. Like, Uh, so. Maybe he was gaping her butthole and all her poops coming out. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Yeah, she was just, he just wanted to make sure to, like, don't leave a smell behind. Oh, okay. So, Jason, he just, he shoots out of the, I like how he, like, comes out of the bathroom. Like, he just, like, he's had it with his driving, too. Like, he just kicks the door open. That's a good point. Cork's driving might have pissed him off, too. So, he just slowly comes up his way behind court with that really cool-looking, like, hunting knife. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you, like, you get, like, a look of Jason in the rearview mirror. And then Court looks up at the last minute just as Jason plants the knife in the side of his head. I always thought it went through his ear. Ear, head, you know, it's all connected. the sound goes all distorted and shit after that. I always but thought it was more brutal. This movie... Fucking ear canal. But this movie got fucking, like, just butchered by the MPA because we get... It gets cut away from that as well and then we see the aftermath well what the fuck was supposed to happen there yeah i honestly i just wanted to see the knife go into his head oh yeah so the rv hits a curb and, and 
funny story. So apparently there was some piece of machinery. There was a lot of tension on the set of this movie between one of the uh, one of the people in charge of making the movie and the rest of the crew. Mancuso's maybe. Yeah, it wasn't Mancuso. I'm not sure who it was, but we find out that this guy wanted this piece of machinery. It was like an air cooler or something. And when the crew found out about this, they attached it to the top of that RV. So when the RV flips and you see that giant uh, piece of machinery go flinging off of the uh, Mm -hmm. RV, that was the crew going like, yeah! So that way this guy couldn't get his hands on that machinery. Really? Yeah, it was kind of... It's like funny and petty at the same time. Yeah. So... The RV flips, and we get like the like one of the coolest shots of the movie. Him popping out of the, he pops the door off, climbs out, and just stands there on top of the RV. Yeah, kind it's of, uh, kind of a just showing. I, I don't know. It just reminds me kind of like we were talking about the Universal monsters and stuff, and it just kind of just shows Jason as a kind of an epic figure, you know, standing on top of this burning RV. So, at this point, the sh- the sheriffs and his men are finding the bodies. They find the paintballers. They find uh, Elizabeth and Darren. They're just finding bodies all over the place at this point. And uh, Sheriff Garris immediately thinks it's Tommy. Mm-hmm. And... We get the line, uh, happy Friday the 13th. I, I, I like that line. It's like, he's really going out of his way to tell, to make us think Jason's back. we well, picked a hell of a day to do it. Why? Happy yeah. Friday the 13th. Are we past the part where them two girls were playing cards? Not yet. Okay. We're almost there, though. So... I think it's worth knowing that at this point we keep getting cuts to, like, the camp and, like, the kids and everything. Um, like, we get the li- we get the little blonde girl who's, like, afraid to go to bed. He sees Jason. She almost reminds me of uh, Carol Ann from Poltergeist. I, I've heard that at some points. Um, so... Uh... She keeps going and, like, uh, getting, uh, not Sissy, but Paula. Um, and then we do get that scene of Sissy and Paula playing the cards game at the cabin. Uh, yeah. I think I brought game... this up whenever we did the show a long time ago. I still don't understand how that game would work. You know, I tried, remember? Like, I, uh, I sent you an email and then you had me on the show talking about it. Oh, okay. Like, like, I tried to figure this game out, like, or tried to make my own version of it, but it got so fucking confusing. <laughs> yeah, I could probably, se- you know what, I could probably send that email, like, do you still have the All My Heroes email uh-huh. account? Yep. I could probably resend that to you and you could look yeah, at it's been, it. It's been so long ago, I've drank a lot since then and I don't remember anything. So, Jason makes his way back to Camp Crystal Lake, and Tommy, he contacts Megan for her help to get Jason. We get a couple scenes of Megan arguing with her father. 
I love the line. Tommy Jarvis is a very sick man. What'd you do, Daddy? Take his temperature? <laughs> like this girl is like, I can like these two have a very strained relationship. She seems like a good actress to me, but I don't think she really went on to do much after this. I'm not sure. I know she was in the TV show V from the eighties. Yeah. Uh, never seen V. I'm looking at her. I'm looking at her filmography. She was in a couple movies from the 70s. Daddy, I don't like this. Oh, oh it's God. That's <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> it was a TV film. Wow. Um, she was in a movie called... She was in something called Guiding Light. Oh, the that's a soap opera. Covenant, The Hitchhiker, which looks like a television. Last thing she was in was came out the same year as this. It was called A Year in the Life. Hmm. So other than th- other than that, uh, she must have found a rich husband and said, "Fuck it." And according to this, she said she briefly returned to the public eye in 2013 when she interviewed for Crystal Lake Memories. Oh, oh shit! Is she in that documentary? I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it, though. She was in that. And I think she was in the His Name Was Jason documentary too. Oh, okay. Oh fuck! I'll have to go back and watch that. I'm curious to see what she's. Looks like now. So. Which documentary do you think was better, Cordell? Crystal Lake Memories or The Never Sleep Again? Well, I like Crystal Lake Memories, but if I remember it correctly, his name was Jason. Or no, or was it it Crystal Lake Memories that had the, uh, that had Tom Savini going through and. Mm. No, I, I could swear it was his name was Jason that had Tom Savini doing the narrative. Uh, yeah, I think Crystal Lake Memories was Corey Feldman. Yeah, it was Corey Feldman, and then so as much so I like Camp Crystal. I like Crystal Lake Memories because it's more in depth, but I like his name is Jason because I like Tom Savini's narrative. Oh, I mean, I mean, of the the two franchise documentaries, Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy, or Camp Crystal Lake Memories. Oh, Crystal Lake Memories, hands down. I I tried watching the Elm Street one, and oh, I really didn't like didn't it. Get, well, it's okay. It's a good documentary if you want to know about Elm Street, but it's like, you know, it's at this point it's so old. Like they they could really do like an updated version of it. Fuck, I don't know. I thought it was pretty comprehensive. I was just I was just curious, but I like Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, franchise it, franchise more than Elm Street, but I like the Elm Street documentary more just because. I felt like it was so in-depth. Although I feel at this point they could really do an in-depth documentary for Halloween, though. Because yeah. the only one I can think of is Halloween 25 years later, and that came out yeah. like what? A while ago. A long while ago. Yeah, they could do a definitely a deep, deep dive on the Halloween uh, franchise. Did you ever uh, pick up the Crystal Lake Memories book? Uh, I didn't get the book. I've seen it a couple times, but it was just too expensive for me. It's but really I, cool. But I did pre-order the documentary when it first came out. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've had this. I'm looking at it right now. This Peter Brackey, Complete History of Friday the 13th, Crystal Lake Memories, basically a coffee table book. I remember getting it. I got it not too long after the original came out. I believe there's like an updated version. I don't have that, but. Oh, believe me, if I if I could, that book would be in my uh, bookshelf. So you're saying I got something rare here I could sell for a shitload of money? 
I don't know if it shipped though, but you probably could get a good penny for it. Because I can't find because I can't find it a lot of places. Like I think the only place I can find it is online. Yeah. No, it's a good book for sure. So, uh, Megan goes to meet with Tommy, picks her up at the Karloff convenience store, um, and at this point, you know, the sheriff's put an APB out on Tommy, and they end up getting chased by some of the deputies, and I love how the fucking one deputy is radioing to the sheriff, he's like, like telling him he's chasing a car with Tommy in it and tells him what kind of car it is. It's How like do you want me enchilada. to proceed? With extreme caution, asshole. That's my daughter. <laughs> like, like he thinks that Tommy's got his daughter captive and he finds out that his daughter's yeah. helping Tommy. Meanwhile, Tommy's hunting for beaver down there in Megan's crotch while she's flying around the roads. Oh, yeah. Like, that was fucking hilarious. Like, I... So... She's like, this turn's going to get a little hairy. <laughs> <laughs> so Tommy and Megan are pulled over by Garris. They go back to the police station. And when they find out that, you know, even Megan has an alibi for Tommy, that he doesn't, uh, that he didn't kill any of those people that they thought, you know, he still locks him up because. Because he's a bastard. Like. He's the only fucking suspect they got at this point. Mm-hmm. So they go out to the camp to investigate. At this point, Jason goes ahead and he kills Sissy and Paula. Um, Sissy's death was kind of okay. The head like pulls out of the window and twists her head off. There's a lot yeah. of head decapitation in this. Sissy, or is it Sissy or Paula? I think it's Paula. Is she the one that gets thrown all over the room and the room's like a bloodbath? Yeah, we don't even see a body in there. No. Like, I want to know, like, what the hell happened? You you know what that makes me think of with Paula's death? She was on her period. (laughs) It makes me almost think it's kind of got, like, this Jack the Ripper feel to it. He just, like, eviscerated her body. Yeah, um, I don't know. So, out of the five victims that Jack the Ripper killed, his fifth and final one, uh, Mary Jane Kelly. Oh, boy. He did, like, he fucked her up the most, muted her up the most. So, that's kind of what it, like, like looked like to me with blood all over the place, but... I've never been too interested in Jack the Ripper, but one of my all-time favorites is the Zodiac. And you know they solved this cipher not too long ago. Yeah, I did read something about that, but still don't know who he is. Like, they 50 years they thought this cipher would tell his name, and it didn't. Uh, no, but they still haven't solved the last part of one of his letters that says my name is. I doubt he gave his name, but who knows? I'd say he's dead. Long dead. Oh, most likely. Like, But there's so I, many different killers out there that they think they know who did it, but we'll never know for certain. They think they know who the Phantom Killer was. Do they? Yeah, they think it was some gay night like... Uh, I can't even remember the fucker's name, but he was like some coffee for something. Was his name Rudolph? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Rudolph <did> Cockstain? <laughs> nope, and he did not have a shiny nose either. <laughs> okay. So. Who killed John Ramsey, Cordell? 
I have no fucking idea. I'm gonna say it was the parents. Her brother. That's my theory, anyways. Survey says. Ding 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 ding. So the cops get there to Crystal Lake and they split up. Uh, Sheriff Garris goes to who killed OJ's wife. Not OJ. <laughs> Not according to the court system, anyways. <laughs> it was a setup. <laughs> Fucking OJ. I it told my. Gov- uh, it was the I government. My, they didn't like seeing a successful black man in sports. <laughs> I told my middle boy I was going to get him an OJ Simpson cameo for his birthday. <laughs> you know what that cameo shit is? Yeah, they have yeah. a. I, I want to go on there and get a cameo, a cameo by John Ky- by John Kaiser. Oh, how much is he? I think he's only like fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah. For uh, Christmas, my wife bought her sister. She's a big fan of the band Simple Plan, which I know is a horrible fucking band, but she likes them. But uh, the lead singer was on there, and she got him a cameo from him. I was like, I told my wife, I was like, get up. They they like have you type in a description of what you want him to say. I was like, tell him to take his dick out, show her a dick for Christmas. Just take your little pecker out there and show it to the lady. Kane Hotto's on there too, but I think he's like two hundred, four hundred dollars. Shut the fuck up. He's not worth two hundred dollars. No, like he's Kane with fi- he's worth five hundred. I think Snoop Dogg's like a grand. Yeah, fuck that. So yes. some of these people don't know their worth, I don't think. <laughs> so some so they get out there and Gas makes his way to the cabin with all the kids. And uh the other two uh cops they end up getting killed by Jason. One of them gets one of those darts thrown into his head at the dock. Which I thought was no, not the, the best of the, a kill, but the knife throw to the face. Yeah, yeah, it was all right. It was just cool because he threw him so far away and nailed his target. Uh, and then that little blonde girl ends up scaring uh Officer Pappas. At the end of the day, Cordell, do the kids really add anything to this movie? Couldn't they have just been the kids are coming tomorrow? You know. You know what? I think the, I think the point at the time was to kind of like make you wonder if Jason would kill the kids or not. Yeah. And, but you know, at this point, I don't. You know, if you know the legend of Jason, if you know what Jason is, I don't think he'll kill the kids. Like he was well, a kid when he drowned. You remember us talking in, <laughs> in the Halloween 2018 about him walking by that baby, and we were talking about him picking it up and stapling it to the wall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? What if? Jason walked in that cabin and just fucking murdered all those kids with a machete. How cool would that have been? It would have definitely been different for the series. I do not think the series would have survived long. I don't know. It would have been cool as fuck. Um, but you always get like... The, I, and then you got these other two kids. It's like three... Out of all those kids, there's like three of them like, they like to focus on. This little girl. And, and those two those, smart asses. Yeah, I like yeah. when they're hiding under the bed. What were you going to be when you grow up? And the other yeah. kid just looks at him all stupidly. A homeless heroin addict. <laughs> Why? How about you? <laughs> so the little girl runs into Officer Pappas and she tells him the scary man's out there and he tries to comfort her and then Jason just pops out of the bushes. Oh, yeah. And I, I like that she's like, 
the bullets go into Jason out of his back, and then off the uh, Pappas ends up getting his head crushed. Yeah, I wish we could have saw more of that. But just yeah. kind of like uh, I think in part seven, uh, the black character's name, the black guy. I think he's supposed to get his head squeezed into like the size of a peanut too, and it got cut. Well, yeah, they they actually have like a deleted scene where that shows the top of his skull like crack open. Yeah. But MPA said no, so they just kind of added in some bones breaking. Yeah. They added just some sounds, and that was it. But when you see his face, it's kind of fucked up. Like, he's got blood, snot, like, all coming out of his nose, running down his face. Yeah. Like, that was kind of fucked. Yeah. So, Sheriff Garris goes to tells the kids to hide and stay put. So, he goes to see what's going on. And he trips over Officer Pappas' body, and he's like freaks out, and then he's probably like, "Oh shit, Tommy wasn't kidding." Yeah, he was fucked. This is where he comes face to face with Jason. Should also point out at this point that Tommy, uh, Megan, and Tommy have gotten out of the jail again. They kind of trick. Uh, they kind of uh, trick Deputy yeah. Cologne. Yeah, he gets hold like, of his gun. Yeah, because you had that stupid line in the movie, wherever the dot goes, ya bang. Yeah. So they kind of like pull it, they kind of like do it again here. They lock him in the cell. And then she like, Tommy's like, fuck you driving, bitch, I'm driving. Yeah. And she's and she goes, all right, hot lips, let's go. <laughs> so they get to the camp. Uh... Officer, uh, the sheriff, he tries to shoot Jason down, shoots him with a shotgun, shoots him with a pistol. I'm glad they let him put up a little bit of a fight, because like I said earlier, I think he's a pretty good character. So he did get some, uh, get some hits in on old Jason. Uh, you know, it took me a while, it took me a couple of viewers to realize that when he shot him with the pistol, he put that bullet hole in the middle of his mask. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Because I always like see people do different variations of the Jace, of the of the mask from this movie. Mm-hmm. They do like the mask at the beginning, and then they do a mask with a bullet hole. And I always I used to be like, where the fuck did he get a bullet hole in the mask? Right. So he runs out of ammo and he starts running because obviously at this point he should realize that this is Jason. You shoot a guy in the head and close range with a shotgun, he keeps getting up. This is not, <laughs> this isn't Tommy. This isn't some random Well, thing. we were talking earlier about the people stumbling across Jason who was swinging the hatchet into that dead body, and his, like, motions were just, like, unnatural and kind of weird looking. Same thing happens here whenever he keeps getting up from the shotgun blast. It doesn't really look that good to me. I, t- I told CJ in the interview that I did like a lot of the, the movements that he does in this. Like the mm-hmm. like the slow lumbering walk in that, like yeah. it has like a Michael Myers feel to it. But uh, I do think that Kane Hodder took what C.J. Graham did and like added to it in the later movies. I'm trying to think. <clears throat> Does uh, do we ever see Kane Hodder sit up? Is he ever uh, down? I, I don't know if he's ever down in those movies. I guess he falls into that puddle. Once uh, Carrie or whatever the fuck, you know, electrocutes him, has the wire wrap around his, uh, well, no, she takes down that power line and fries him and he falls over in that puddle, but I don't know if we ever see him get back up. 
Uh, can't remember. There was that one. I know there might have been. Well, he does kind of fall down when he gets like lit on fire in the basement. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, and then I think he like falls down and. Well, he doesn't exactly fall down. He gets kind of like tackled to the ground by that one character, and Jason goes to hell when they yeah, get. Yeah, I guess I guess they describe anything as these these movements. They just seem really jerky. Well, that's like I said. Like I like what C.J. Graham did, but then like Kane Hodder added to it. Yeah. Like he added like the heavy breathing motions and that. Mm, yeah. So. Yeah, it seems like Kane Hodder's Jason just had like. A personality to it, I guess. So, Tommy starts getting everything in place to put Jason back into the uh, water. Um, I do like the scene where, like, Jason smashes through the cabin door to the kid's cabin. Yeah. I really like this scene. Like, just pieces of door go flying everywhere, and he just looks like... It's almost kind of, it, it, instead of it being like a shiny, it's almost like a shining moment, but instead of his face, it's like his whole body, and it's like he's almost saying, here's Jason. <laughs> yeah, pretty well, you're right, yeah. So, Tommy goes, uh, Megan goes to, I don't know what she thinks she's going to do, save the children. I don't <clears throat> know what the fuck she's, like, what the fuck she's playing. I think she's just there to try to keep calm. And Tommy's trying to stop her as he's out in the middle of the lake. Um, she's calling for her dad. Uh, at this point, the sheriff, he gets killed finally. Jason heals her. He's going after her. Um, and at least at least when the sheriff dies, he dies trying to protect his daughter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's a good character. You know, how uh, often how often is there very much character development in a Friday the Thirteenth movie? But we got we got puts, something out of it. He puts a he puts a nice fight up. Like he takes a piece of yeah. wood, smacks Jason with it, knocks him back down, and he's about to bash his head in with a rock, and that's when he gets yeah. bent in half. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I'm glad that he got to put up a fight because he has a decent character in this franchise. And yeah, he definitely he definitely. Uh, well, I think he even knocks Jason down. Well, I mean, he does for sure with the gun, but I think he even knocks him down when he gets that fucking bit of wood, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he kind of tackles him because right. Jason turns his back to go after uh, Megan. Right. So he tackles him, and then he p- grabs, like, a log, and as Jason's getting back up, he hits him in the side with it. Right. Yeah, I'm glad they let him get some fucking licks in there. And this is a, it's at this moment where I feel like maybe we should have gotten a look at Jason's face. Like, he knocks the mask off, and that's when he really realizes that this isn't that this is Jason right before he gets killed. I think he knows. <laughs> I think he knows at this point. I, I guess I'm just looking for an excuse to see Jason's face. Yeah, well, I mean, you usually only get a look at him once a movie, and we had a pretty extended look at him at the beginning of the movie. So they kind of did it in reverse. Normally you see his face at the end of the movie. So he grabs Sheriff Gavis by the head, and then he just bends him back like folded underwear. Mm-mm. And that, that is underwear, effect- huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty effective kill, though. Like, out of all oh, the yeah. kills in this, this and the hot kill are, like, the most effective. Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. Who the fuck wants to get bent backwards until you're dead? So, and I like how, the, I like how they did this, because I was wondering myself how they did this. They, like, dug a hole 
And then they had like his stunt double, like stunt with cock. The, they had a stunt double like in like face down in the hole with his legs sticking out, and they had uh, David Kagan in uh, standing in the hole. And then mm-hmm. when he does like the whole bend back scene, uh, Kagan was just supposed to like just flail backwards, and then the other guy was supposed to shake his legs. Oh yeah. So it was kind of a cool setup. You mean they didn't really murder him on camera? I know, it's upsetting, right? Yeah, they should have just killed him. But, you know, there's labor laws preventing yeah. that type of shit, legal laws. Yeah. Ever since that Twilight Zone accident, shit's changed a lot. Twilight? The Twilight Zone incident? I'm not sure what that is. I was thinking more of when... Uh, I was thinking of the time when uh, director John Landis accidentally cut a kid's head off with a real helicopter. Yeah, that was the uh, Twilight Zone. Oh, it was? Yeah, he killed three people. He killed Vic Morrow and his two children, I believe. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we were thinking of the same thing. I just knew it by something different. Yeah, no, it was Twilight Zone movie. Wow. Yeah. Went to trial for that one. Yeah, but he... there was all kinds of fucked up shit on that set. They were working just fucking stupid hours, and I guess everything was willy nilly, and something did go wrong. Two I mean, children it's... and a man decapitated. I believe you can see the footage on the internet. Oh God, no! Yeah, oh yeah. It's like you know Brandon Lee dying on the set of The Crow from a gun malfunction. <clears throat> yeah, I watched the whole thing about that. It was a whole series of uh, fuck ups that. Uh, Made that happen. So, uh, Megan rushes back to the cabin to try to help out the kids, and Tommy starts screaming her name. And I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes when he's when he's screaming, "Megan, no, Megan, Megan, no!" And then when he finally yells, "Jason," Jason just comes shooting out of the window, and like, I don't know, it's something about the scene I like. Yeah, I think it's the emotion, like. Tension running high. So yeah, what the fuck's what the fuck's he calling Jason when he's out there in that boat? Uh, I well, forget now. It's something real fucking corny though. Well, Jason grabs Megan like he's gonna try to squeeze. I Jason like really has an issue with people's heads in this movie. Like yeah, he wants to see him blow up. Well, he had an issue with uh, what's his fuck's name in part three, and his eyeball flew out. Like he's like. Yeah, but it, but that was just in part three. And this one, it was decapitation. It was crushing heads. It was twisting heads. It was like, yep. he really just wants people, like, I'm stupid of your fucking ugly faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he go, grabs her head. And Tommy calls to him and says, Jason, come on. Come and get me. It's me you want, remember? Calls him a pussy. Yeah, come on, you pussy. And so Jason, like, instead of actually killing her and That's going after him, he Maggie just lets head. it. Come on, Maggie head. That was fucking retarded. And you know what's funny? They When uh, all these companies that release, like, hoods of a Pop 6 Jason for cosplayers, they call it the maggot head hood. Oh, God. So he throws uh, Megan to the ground and... I'm going to tell you this right now. You know how they try to set up in Freddy vs. Jason that Jason is deathly afraid of water? Uh-huh. 
this scene right here blows that theory out of the fucking wall. I thought that, that but I just out of the water. I disagree. The whole thing about that was Freddie died by fire, Jason by water. So that's why psychologically, in Jason's deeper consciousness, he would be afraid of water. Not necessarily that he won't go into water, but, you know, psychologically, he's afraid of water. Psychologically, but, like, they try to make it seem like, in, but they try to make it seem like in that movie, he's just deathly afraid well, of water. Well, whatever the water comes down and he kind of retreats, you know, that's Freddie inside of Jason's head, kind of manipulating him is how I always kind of saw it. It's very ambiguous. It is, and it's a stupid line that Monica Kina says, Freddy died by fire, Jason by water, how can we use that? It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Who talks like that? (laughs) I I, I just, it's just that that always bugged me about that line from that movie, and then you go back and watch this scene, and then it's like, well, if he's so deathly afraid of water, why would he just waltz into it just for this fucking asshole? And even part seven, he gets Heidi Kozak in the water. Yeah, she goes like, out to skinny dip, and he jumps in the water and fucking drags her around like Jaws. Yeah, there's several uh, different kills throughout the series where he kills people in the water. I think in part uh, three or four, he killed some... Oh, yeah, the skinny dip Yeah. So... Yeah. Oh, was it... Uh... Oh, no, she was out of the water. I was thinking about part two, but yeah, you're right, part four. He uh, swims under the boat and sticks... Yep, a under that, that little dish. inflatable... Yeah, that raft. So, uh, he goes into the water, and then Megan uh, tries calling out to Tommy. Jason turns around, and then Tommy calls Jason an asshole. Uh, <laughs> I, I just love that. He's like, hey, asshole! Yeah, that that's good, and the uh, pussy's fine. But the... Maggot head. The, 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 come on, maggot head! That shit always just drove... It just drives me nuts. I don't know why. So, you know, we got all this good shit going on. So, um, Jason, he walks out there and he goes far out enough into the lake to where he's, he submerges himself. Yeah, even though they're two feet off the fucking shore. Well, if I remember this correctly, this entire, like, they did some of these scenes on a lake and then, like, when they do, like, the underwater scenes and that... Mm -hmm. That was uh, shot in, uh, like, I think Tom McLaughlin said, like, his father-in-law's uh, swimming pool. Very evil dead. And, like, the scene, like, we'll get to it in a, in a moment, but, like, the scene when Megan kind of turns the boat on Jason's face uh, with the propeller, uh, McLaughlin was saying something like, uh, like, they did like the scene with all these chunks in that and it got caught in his father-in-law's pool filter and like they had to get someone oh, to fix shit. the pool. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny. That but uh funny. so Tommy, you know, wisely thinks, okay, I'm just gonna kill the environment, kill the fish, and pour gas into the water. Yeah, let's fry some fish. <laughs> he pours gas into the wa- uh, water, lights it on fire, so you, ca- you get, like, this cool visual effect of a boat surrounded by a ring of fire. Uh, yeah, uh, very cool. And then Jason pops out of the water. He pops out of the water a few times trying to take Tommy down, and there comes a point where even his clothes catch on fire. 
Yeah, I don't even. I don't, I'm not sure about Tommy's exit strategy here. I don't know how good of a plan is. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wheel out to the middle of a lake, wrap a chain around his head, <laughs> fucking sink him with a rock. You know, this whole movie is Tommy. Plans on how to do it, but not how to get away. Like yeah. he doesn't. Like I would not trust this guy to rob a bank. Fuck no. Like, Cause he'd be out there calling the cops maggot heads and saying, "Come and get me! <laughs> come, come and get me, pigs! <laughs> you fucking pussies! <laughs> Stop killing black people, pussies!" <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I think it would be. <laughs> so, uh, finally, Jason, like. Jason does this one lunge where he like his whole body goes up onto the boat and mm-hmm. they break the boat in half. Yeah. Uh, but this is Tommy does get this chain around Jason's neck and it does trap him at the bottom. But like you said about exit strategy, uh, Jason uh, starts like trying to choke out Tommy underwater. And do you think Tommy should have died in this? Yeah, for sure. So. Uh, instead of staying with the kids and making sure none of them, you know, wander off or just completely lose their shit from this trauma, uh, <laughs> Megan decides that she's going to go out there and try to save uh, Tommy. Uh, so she swims out there to swim Tommy to shore, and Jason starts to pull her underwater. Uh keeps trying to grab at her and everything. That just makes me wonder, like, how fucking deep this lake is. Because if you can be, Not like... very. <laughs> if your head can be above water and this motherfucker can just reach up and pull you under, <laughs> like, like, you know, I have questions about this logic. Yeah, it's best like, not to ask those questions or even think about it. You know, the police come out there and they're going to be like, Oh yeah, we just chained Jason to the bottom of the lake. Oh okay, we'll just leave him there. Like yeah, no signs, like no signs go up to say "Do not swim in lake." Right. Let's sprinkle a little cocaine on him and get the hell out of here. You know, I I, I just feel by the time Part Seven came around, there should have been like children's bones at the bottom of the lake. Jordan, uh, Jason just reaching up, grabbing them, bringing them underwater. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. The whole how deep is it, and uh, why didn't the cops retrieve the corpse? The the whatever the cops do show up and say, "Who killed all these people?" That guy who's like two feet out in the lake. Okay, just, we'll just leave him there. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say just and you know if you want to check Tommy and Megan's story, just send a little like uh, one of those like underwater subs under there. <laughs> snap a picture and be like, yep, Jason's under there. Okay, let's go well, home, everybody. I don't know if they had underwater subs back in 86 or whatever this movie came out. They might have. I, I don't fucking know. I think they would have had something along that because, like, you know, when all these ocean explorers looking for, like, the Titanic and shit. They need to go un- <clears throat> unlock Mr. Yabang from his cell and send his stupid ass down there. <laughs> so... Megan uh, is holding on to the boat, and she decides to, she starts the uh, motor and decides to, um, it, <sighs> I got so many questions here. So okay. J- 
So Jason is deep enough to where he has to reach up to pull her underwater. God damn it, Cordell. It's not <laughs> worth asking. Oh, no, I'm asking. Just, okay. you know, just, just. But you know the, there is no answer, right? Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I just feel it needs to be stated. Okay, get it on the record. So Jason has to reach up to pull Megan underwater, right? Okay. But yet somehow this fucking propeller is... Because I've seen propellers on boats. They don't extend deep that far down. But okay. yet this propeller is far enough down to where it can still reach Jason's face. Uh, what do you want me to do, Cordell? <laughs> I don't fucking... Do you, do, you, do, you want me, do you want me to try to explain it to you, or what are you looking for? <laughs> I just... I just want to fucking know. Like... I just got logical questions. Like Something tells questions, me but that it doesn't make sense. Something tells me that the, <laughs> something tells me that the the people that made this the logic ask these questions. The logic's a little off. <laughs> so she starts the motor and she swings the uh, propellers into Jason's face. You kind of get like this cool shot where Jason's eye almost kind of like glows underwater like it's like all wide open and everything he's like oh yeah. shit yeah that the, when the propeller's like chopping away the hockey mask and his flesh and stuff that's some epic shit it's awesome and he's kind of like he, his, he's like shaking violently in that I'm sub- yeah. like, surprised that she's like she's enough, she's close enough to it to be able to steer the propeller but she's far away to not get her leg chopped by the propeller itself yeah that's what i was thinking the last time i watched it. i was like god damn she's going to get her fucking self hacked up so some like i don't know what happens she starts chopping up his face she breaks off some of the hockey mask but it looks like she breaks his neck yeah um I don't know if that crack was supposed to be his neck breaking or the hockey I, mask breaking no i think it was um the last time I watched it, just a few weeks back, I remember thinking that, because I was looking where the propeller was chopping him, just to see how it kind of explains the side of his face and the hockey mask having chunks out of it. But yeah, it looked like it just cut right through the side of his neck, and you hear something snap and just all kinds of blood come out of it. Well, yeah, it almost kind of, because when it looks, it looks like his head just snaps backwards. Yeah, I'm thinking, it's one of them things where you can't kill Jason. You know, you got to leave him alone in case they want to make another one. You I think just it's just give part, him some neck problems. Yeah, I think it's just part seven, taking a little bit of liberty of uh, where the propeller actually chopped him. Wasn't so much of his, his face, but a huge gaping hole out of his neck. So she manages to get Tommy's body back to uh, the um, beach. All the kids are like gathered around and everything she performs cpr on him he, he wakes fellatio up on him yeah you know says hey kids this is how you pledge a man <laughs> that's one of the most fucked up things i've ever heard hey kids <laughs> <laughs> oh this, uh, yeah this movie would have gotten that fucking nc-17 you tell me that wouldn't have went by the MPAA. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, oh, once you have the triple decapitation, but you got to take out the part where the chick blows a guy in front of all these kids. <laughs> hey, man, you have to have, you have to have, you know, fucking, if you, if you know you're dealing with the MPAA, you got to have a bargaining chip. That's what I'm saying, man. Show the most fucked up thing you can show and you'll get away with whatever you want. Show Megan 
fucking Jason's dead corpse. Like, <laughs> just find <laughs> his dead body. <laughs> like, they'll let you keep that decapitation, but damn it, you better take out the fucking neck uh necrophilia. <laughs> this is a Friday the thirteenth movie I wanna watch. God so, damn. So Tommy, he's like he's all he's got his face pressed up against uh, uh Megan's titties. Oh. Uh and he's saying something along the lines that it's finally over, Jason is home. Um Truthfully, okay. I think I think if Jason was actually home, he'd be back up in his mom's snatch. But yeah, well, well, yeah, that that's for sure. But I think he was more secure in that fucking crypt he left him in, buried six feet underground, as opposed to just on a chain underneath the water. I think he was actually in a better position when the movie started. Oh my god, so many <laughs> fucking logistical fuck ups. Like even like not so much logistics, but just common sense. Yeah. Yeah, he was dead and buried when this movie started. Now he's alive and underwater. So, yeah, he's back home. So, uh, then it cuts to a scene of daylight. You know, there's no cop cars around. There's nothing, like, it's not an active crime scene. Like, it's like everybody just like, oh, okay, let's go home, everybody. Not ever say a word of this to anybody. Right. So... And then it shows Jason. One thing that I noticed that a lot of people sometimes miss is they just see Jason's eye open before the credits roll. But you actually, like, as Jason's, like, hanging there, you see him clench his fist. Oh, and get an erection. Oh, yeah, he was just thinking about making it. So he clenches his fist. His eye opens, we get some creepy sound effects, and then credits roll to the Alice Cooper song, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. Yes, sir. Which, I'm going to go on the record and say that I think is one of like the best songs for a horror movie. I hold it up there with like Dream Warriors. Oh, yeah, Dream Warriors is a shit. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I think I prefer Dream Warriors, but yeah, it's good. I, I think when I make my list of like Halloween music, I have... Behind the Mask, Dream Warriors, the Halloween theme, the song from My Bloody Valentine, and Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> the Ballad of Harry Warden. It's a good song. It is very good. So, that and that right there is Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. Um, Left him in a good spot to pick up in Part 7, I think. It's definitely they could, a, they, could they, they could do a lot with that underwater. You know, he's kind of tattered and torn from the fish pecking at him. His clothes are deteriorated. You can see his spine and shit. So yeah, I think they set him up good for part seven. And this movie was actually very. Uh, this movie was like this is the lowest grossing sequel to any of the uh, Friday films in the series. Yeah, you know, I don't they, think it. I don't think it's anything specifically with the quality of the movie. It's well, just, a lot you know, of, once a you lot get of, to part six, people well, are I think a lo- I think a lot of people think it had to do with uh, part five. Mm-hmm. You know, when that first came out, you know, part five was a, was a financial success, but a lot of fans at the time hated it. Well, it's like I said at the beginning of the show, it's a lot like Halloween 4. They put in the title, The Return of Michael Myers. And in this, they put Jason Lives, so you know he's back. So, but, uh, 
What? I, I mean, out of I mean, to me, this is like one of the more fun uh, films in the franchise. I think uh. this one, this one, part two, uh, definitely seven and eight. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the more I watch it, I can't remember exactly what I said about it whenever we did a show on it years back. But uh, it is it is like a, a jokey, kind of fun-loving Friday the 13th movie. But the more I watch it, the more I, it's, it's just not one of my favorites. Just like Part 5 was kind of like mean-spirited and sleazy, and that's why I like it. This one's just kind of too jokey, I guess. But, you um, know, I still I still like the movie. I'm not going to shit on it. You know, Friday the 13th Part 6 is a good fucking entry in the series. It's just, it's never, I don't think it's ever going to be one of my favorite ones or one of my go-to ones. Uh, it's definitely one of my go-to ones, but I, I hear what you're saying, but I definitely think there are movies in this series that you would say are worse than this. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know what, Cordell? If you ask me two years from now, I might say this is one of my favorites in the series. This is right now. I don't know if it's because I've seen it so many fucking times. Maybe I need a couple-year break from it. Because, like I said, I don't remember. I might have gave it the fucking Dago years back. I, I don't remember exactly what my feelings were at the time on it. But just when I was watching it a few weeks back, and I think it might be because I've seen it so many times, you just know all the beats, and you just barely pay attention. And, yeah, th- there's there's no, like good kills that like grab your attention or even nudity and i know that's a shitty thing to say but these types of movies it's like people were bitching online about the black christmas remake that came out a couple years back because it was rated pg-13 and i think that is a valid bitch there are certain types of movies that need to be rated fucking r because at certain types of movies you're going in there for the kills you're going in there for the boobies you know you want a sleaze fest and, you know, it's not like the Black Christmas remake was going to tell a good fucking story. And that's not what we're here for Friday the 13th movies. We're not here for a good fucking story. We're here for some fucking brutal murders and some boobies bouncing around. And this movie really doesn't have it, except for that fucking heart-ripping scene. But I do and still that- like, I still like Part 7 a lot. I and, you know, it, it, it's not really that brutal either, but I, I feel like the tone's a little bit different. That's why I enjoy that one more than well, I do Part 6. you know, Tom McLaughlin really wanted to bring, like, that universal monster feel to this. Mm-hmm. Now, Which is apt, because, you know... I, how I said, do you feel about Tom McLaughlin, like, in terms of, like, how he made this movie, like... No, he did fine. Like I said, Cordana... I'm not trying to shit on this movie. I'm really not. I'm just kind of talking about it in the sense of this franchise. You know, as a slasher movie, it's, it's way up there, but I don't know, just just right now, I just, I don't know. I'm kind of lukewarm on it. If you want, I can read you some of the other uh, filmography that uh, Tom McLaughlin did before he did Jason Lives. Sure. Uh, he made a movie, he was the writer and director for One Dark Night. Okay. From 1983, are you familiar with that one? Uh, negative. Uh, it's a 1983 supernatural horror movie. Um, he did, obviously, he did Jason Lives. Um, he was a writer and director on what looks like, oh my god. He was a writer and director on Freddy's Nightmares and Jay's Friday the 13th, the series. Makes sense. Well, maybe Freddy's Nightmares, but Friday the 13th, the series had, like, nothing to learn from... 
to be fair, I can't really criticize the Friday the Thirteenth series because I've never really ever seen an episode. And then the only other thing on his resume that I'm familiar with was he did a he he did a television horror movie based on a Stephen King book called Sometimes They Come Back. Oh yeah, I watched that movie when I was a kid. I ain't seen it in fucking years, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he was the director of that movie. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying. At the end of the day, if I was gonna sit down and watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie, I'd rather watch one, two, three, four, five, seven, probably eight <laughs> before I watch six. Just at this point in time. I mean, it it is what it is. Um, yeah. Now the original ending for this movie. How I mentioned that the caretaker wasn't supposed to die. Mm-hmm. The original ending was supposed to be uh, the caretaker taking care of Jason's graves, or Jason's grave, mm-hmm. and then he's visited by Elias Voorhees. Yep. Um, and then we find out that the caretaker has been getting payoffs by uh, Jason's father to take care of both. Uh, Jason's Graves and Pamela's Grave. Oh, I thought the caretaker was Jason's dad. He was supposed to be Elias Voorhees. Um, you know what's funny? I don't remember anything about payoffs. Well, they show, like, I remember watching the special features on one of the DVDs for this movie. Mm -hmm. They showed, like, the storyboard, and you see Elias give the caretaker, like, a lot of money. Oh, I always thought the caretaker was supposed to be Jason's dad. Uh, funny thing, um... C.J. Graham, he actually was just in this uh, fan-made Friday the 13th movie. Oh, the uh, Hike Alone or whatever? Uh, no, no, it's called Friday the 13th Vengeance. Oh, okay. And he actually plays Elias Voorhees. Oh, okay. Um, Ted White's in it, too. I thought he was dead. Uh, it was, one of, it was the la- one of the last things Ted White did before he passed away. Oh, okay. It's it's on YouTube. I definitely recommend you check it out. It's a pretty, It's supposed to be like a direct sequel to this movie. Yeah. I would definitely recommend, like, if you're not doing anything one day, to just go on YouTube and watch it. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, I need to watch the Never Hike Alone, and they did a sequel not too long ago to that. I need to check out. So, what would you say? Big O, high, medium, or are you going to cut your dick off? <laughs> Uh, definitely not going to cut my dick off. I'm somewhere between a high and a medium. And I'm not sure just to fucking rate this goddamn thing in the sense of all movies are rated within the, this franchise. But I guess if I was rating it in the franchise, I'd probably just give it a medium. Right now. Like I told, like I said earlier, two years from now, you could fucking call me back and I'll give it a high or a big O. I just feel like I'm kind of burned out on this one right now. And I think I'm going to give this movie a high. Um... I'm not going to give it a big O. I really thought I was going to give it a big O, only mm. because this is my favorite of the series. But Really? You know, yes, this is my favorite. Like, if I had to pick any one of these, if a friend was like, hey, I've never watched a Jason movie, which one should we watch? I'm picking this one. Yeah, you're right about that, definitely. If you're going to show anybody who's never seen one of these, this is a good place to start. You know, uh... I I wasn't you know I wasn't a fan of horror movies when I was a kid, and it wasn't until I saw Bob Zombie's Halloween that I was like, 
started getting into slashes. But the thing that got me into Jason itself was the song He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. Yeah. So I heard that, and then I went and watched this, and I was like, shit, this is pretty good. So then I went back from the beginning, I watched the original Friday, the 13th. I saw everything up to Jason Lives, everything after it. The only two movies in the franchise that leave me scratching my head, and I still watch them, is Jason Goes to Hell. That's just dumb fun. Because it's dumb fun. It's retarded. (laughs) And then Jason X, which is one of those... Yes, I know how you feel about Jason uh, X. You you weren't even able to you weren't even able to finish your uh, episode on it. The only one we didn't do. Oh no, you tried. It we just, tried. It worked. It you sucks. you got like five minutes into the movie, and then you're like, you know what? Let's just talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even worth talking about. Uh, I just think there's some things in Jason Lives that I like. I like Uber Jason. I kind of like the look of Jason in that one. I just looks think like the a, whole looks like he has a pig nose. I just think the plot of waking up like four thousand four hundred years in the future, that was the only thing I didn't really care for. Oh, yeah. Like and there's just some cheesy dialogue, you know. It's retarded. It's a retarded movie. If if part five, if if Jason goes to hell is dumb fun, Jason X for me is like one of those it's like one of those movies. That you would turn on if, like, you just wanted background noise. Yeah. Yeah, I can promise you that's not going to be one of them ones where I warm up to. And I just wanted to say real quick, I'm kind of down on part six right now. And it's really nothing new for the movies in this franchise for me. For a long time, I didn't want to watch part three because I thought it was boring. And now I'm back to where I'd watch part three anytime. So it's just one of them things where it's like, you know, you've seen these fucking movies so many times. You just kind of need a break, <laughs> you know, from certain ones every once in a while. Oh, yeah, I, I, I understand that. But but no, Friday, or Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives is a good-ass fucking movie. Just, just at this point in time, need a little break from it. And like I said, this is uh, high for me. I definitely recommend, yeah. if you're going to get into Jason Voorhees, check out the two the two uh the couple friday movies that i would say check out check out part two and part three no i take that back check out part three and four where he gets the hockey mask where tommy jarvis is introduced and then check out this one and part seven well i will say uh i 100 percent agree with you on if for some reason you know somebody who's never seen a Friday the Thirteenth movie. If that ever comes oh, I've up, run into and, the, a few. And, and they want you to show them one, Part Six is a good place to start because he already has the mask. You know, he's become what everybody sees Jason as is like an undead fucking mask, mask having fucking machete wielding psychopath. And it's not too serious, and it doesn't get crazy like Part Seven does with the. The, the Carrie girl or part eight where we're on a fucking boat to New York for most of the movie or Jason goes to hell. Part six is kind of that <clears throat> sweet spot where it is Jason for one. He has the mask and the rules are kind of established with no like just goofy plot devices going on. You know what? I love part eight. Like, like cause in part eight is like 
I just like the like I like the look of Jason in that one. Mm-hmm. Like the hockey the, mask and everything. The yellowish I, mask. I, I just wish the film like it's Jason takes a boat to Vancouver. Right. And like you get but what, a couple what 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 would you actually do with Jason in New York? They had a list of things. He was going to go terrorize a Broadway play. He was going to go terrorize people at the Empire State and the World Trade yeah. Center. He was going to, like, there was so much that you, that, I mean, you're putting Jason in a city filled with thousands of people. You could literally turn that into, like, a massacre of a movie. Yeah, I don't think they would have, though. I mean, it would have been ambitious for 1988. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, I mean, now you got movies today. You got superhero movies where... Oh, God, I'm like, so tired of that shit. You got superhero movies where the superhero fight the bad guy and completely level a city, massacre thousands. But, hey, we saved the city from the alien droid. I'll tell you what, that was one prediction I was wrong about, Cordell. I said years ago on the old show... That people were finally going to get tired of the superhero bullshit and it would start going away. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. I listen to that episode a lot. You always say that. And I just think of, oh, how his time has not worked well. On no, this nope, not at all. I thought people would be burnt out on the same old fucking story and knowing the heroes were going to win at the end. But I was dead wrong. Well, you know, I was like all into like, Captain America and Iron Man, like when the movies first started coming. And then, you know, I'll tell you what, like, I always got excited for each new Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. But after the last Avengers movie, after Endgame, where now, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is gone, Chris Evans is gone, Scarlett Johansson's gone, I'm just okay. kind of left with, okay. Now, I'm not so sure I'm, like, ready to, like, continue the MCU yeah. at this point. Like, all my favorite characters, all my favorite actors are now gone. Yeah. I, just, I mean. I just never could get into it. If it's not fucking Batman and a good Batman, uh, yeah. I just don't give a uh, shit. I mean, I'll tell you this. The last Marvel movie that I was getting excited for was the Black Widow film. Yeah, because she's got big tits. And... That got delayed because of COVID, and now I don't even know when that's coming, and now I don't even care. Like, I'm still going to see it when it comes out, but it's like, I can't even get excited <sighs> about it now. Yeah, the two I'm looking forward to that got delayed by COVID is uh, Ghostbusters and um, the yep. Halloween Kills. I'm but, waiting for both of those. I just saw the trailer for the Ghostbusters movie, and I was like, oh, that looks pretty good, actually. But if this new screen hits here in a few months, COVID or no COVID, I'll be I'll be going to the theater to see that shit. I'll risk my life to go see Scream 5. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Yeah, you know how uh, they just released that new Wonder Woman out on, uh, like... I've heard just bad things about it. I know, so have I. Like, I was all excited, because I... I saw the first Wonder Woman, and I was like, you know, this isn't a bad movie. It's a lot better than Man of Steel. Yeah. Well, what is? Well, what isn't? I mean. <laughs> but then I was like, you know, I've just been hearing nothing but bad movies, and it's like, eh, I don't know if I want to continue this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's been a, just a shit year for movies. But I... 
I think we talked about it last time I was on here, but I don't know how I feel about them not just putting Halloween kills out on demand and charging 20 bucks for it. If I'd rather do that or wait and see it in a movie theater, still kind of figuring out which way I'd like to see it. I guess movie theater probably. So this will, let's see, today's the 28th. This will probably be my last show for 2020. Uh, Like I said, I do want to try to, uh, do a show this weekend and talk about um, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. So if you do get a chance to find time to watch that. Yep, for sure. Um, I will do my best. I'm, th- I'm going to try, uh, just so you know, right now. So, like, I don't, like, because I'm, I'm trying to be good about not messaging people at the last minute. That's how you um, got to do me. <laughs> because I won't know till the last minute. <laughs> Well, just for, like, reference right now, like, I'm going to try to shoot for Saturday at uh, 7.30 again. All right. So. I will try my goddamn just to be here. All right. So, with that, I think we are just about done with this. I'm going to get this edited. I'm going to put the interview I did with CJ Graham into this and hopefully get this out uh, within the next day or so. You did a hell of a job putting that first episode out. <clears throat> I didn't expect it to come out so quick. Well, the first episode was kind of choppy. And then uh, me, Nudie, and uh, Jake, we covered Demolition Man. Okay. That movie, that one came out okay. And then I did kind of like a last minute, uh, I did a last minute episode uh, on Star Wars with... Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine because uh, the guy that played Darth Vader passed away. Yeah, I, I listened to uh, some of the uh, third episodes you put out, and your uh, co-host on there sounded very well spoken. Uh, yeah, Chris, he uh, he actually does like a couple podcasts, including a Star Wars one. So we uh, kind of threw that out there as like a David Prowse tribute. Yeah. So. And now that I'm actually starting to like figure out how to get this audible. Like not audible, but uh, it's like uh, an audio app for editing. Right. Now that right. I'm starting to figure this thing out, it's like, oh, not editing's just so much easier. Yeah, I remember back in the day whenever I was editing Audacity, I could never figure yep, it out. Yep, that's it. Audacity was a pain in the fucking dick. I can't remember exactly now what editing software I use, but it was really fucking easy. But the only way I could get it was I'd have to have my buddy Casey come over and download it illegally for me because it was super fucking expensive to to do it legitimately. Holy shit. But it was real easy to use, man. You just kind of you have your audio file there and you just drag and click and hit delete. Take that out. You know, put a song in, drag it right there. You know, it was just fucking super easy to do. But uh, I think this is where we will wrap this up because I'm I am now at two hours, 30 minutes. I, mm. This is probably going to be a four-hour episode. Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? The longer, the better. Right? At least it gives you, it gives you something to listen to on those long car drives. That is correct. I love long podcasts. I don't like the podcasts that say we got to be done in 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, no. So, I want to thank you for joining me tonight for this, nope, Tyler. it's been fun, Cordell. Hopefully, I'll join you for Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'll do another podcast on that. I love that fucking movie. All right. Well, then I will hopefully hear from you Saturday, then. Right on. 
All right, I want to listen to this podcast and fuck off. Yep. I want to uh, wish everyone a good night. Tyler, I wish you a happy New Year's. And, You're signing uh, off a lot nicer than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I'm the host. <laughs> yes, happy New Year to you too, buddy. Hopefully 2021 is a lot better than this shit year. All right, and uh, I think that is it. So go ahead and say goodbye, Tyler. Oh, wait, Bye. you're going to fuck off. Oh, yeah, fuck off. That's right. <laughs> All right, have a good night. Welcome to another episode of the Cinecult Podcast. After the long hiatus, we are back, and I am here with kind of a late uh, Christmas treat for everybody. Uh, I am your host, Cordell Calkins, and today I have a very special uh, guest on the show, probably more special than any guest I've had in the past. Um, you may know him from the... Uh, what's that movie? Oh, I goofed. I have to... I don't even have all my information, like, looked up right here. <laughs> one moment. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I'm supposed to be the one that's supposed to be nervous, not you. Oh, yes. You might know him from his movie from, uh, where is it? You might know him as Sergeant Bedlam or Hell Cop from the 1991 movie Highway to Hell. But you might mostly know him as the role of Jason Voorhees from the sixth installment of the Friday the 13th franchise, Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. And that man is C.J. Graham himself. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Mr. Graham. Hey, Cordell, it's C.J. Graham, Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th Part 6. And uh, don't worry about talking because Jason doesn't talk. So if I can talk without a hockey mask, you can talk on an interview. It's going to go well, buddy. It's going to go well. Don't worry about it. All right, cool. So... As I normally start out with uh, asking uh, any of my guests on the show, um, we drinking anything tonight? Hey, I just got done feeding the horses, putting everybody to bed for the night, doing my chores. So I live on a ranch in Montana. So even though I'm retired, so to speak, from running casinos, resorts, and those type of suit and tie jobs, uh, I'm still a rancher. I'm still a cowboy, so I got stuff to do. Ah, it's okay. I'm just drinking Mountain Dew, so... <laughs> Um, okay, so the plan for tonight is to, it's going to be kind of like a slash interview slash review of Jason Lives, um, but before we get into the movie, I have a little segment that I have on the show called What Have You Been Watching, so, 
have you been watching anything like television, movies? Like, t- let the audience know what ca- what is your uh, cinema taste outside of horror? You know, I I enjoy country. I enjoyed like the the film that's been out, Badlands. You know, um, those different type of films more so because I live in Montana, so um, those connect with me. Uh, anything adventure, anything military. I was in the military, so you know, anything goes bang bang, shoot it up. You know, I get into because uh, you know, 46 years ago I was in the army. So, and then of course horror. Got to be in the horror fan if you're going to be in the genre of Jason Voorhees, but. My old school horror is Universal, which is the old Universal monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein, Werewolf, Mummy, and so on. So I'm a big fan of all movies, though. I think that's why Jason Lives. Well, then that you know Jason Lives was the perfect movie for you then, because uh, I know Tommy McLaughlin. He kind of took the inspiration from Frankenstein for this movie. Yeah, Tommy McLaughlin, the writer-director, is very clear. Uh, he also an uh, old-school Universal uh, fan, and he was looking to bring Jason back on a new platform where he was not a zombie, he was not the Jason of the past, but the concept of bringing him back with the lightning would, most people would just naturally pop into a franchise of, you know, uh, Frankenstein. Uh, and if you do recall the Frankenstein series back in those days, um, people always watched Frankenstein start to come to life and then start to connect the dots where he started to think a little bit. He wasn't just a zombie. He was he was calculating things and trying to understand things. So that's what Tom did really well with Friday the 13th Part 6, and he used it as a launching platform for the next part of the series. Well, cool. Um, sure, we'll, we'll get more into that when we get to the film. But, yeah, it's uh, I know... I, I know uh, Frankenstein had a lot of heavy inspiration for that movie. You know, uh, I got kind of a kind of a confession. I've actually never seen some of the, the old Universal uh, horror movies. It's something I've been. I know I should get around to. I just don't. Well, you'd have to own a v- VHS, and you probably don't have one of those. So, oh, I actually have one, but <laughs> the, uh, they actually rele- released all the thirty. 30s Universal Monster movies on a big DVD box set. I have it. It has like Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. There is there is one uh, movie from the 30s I want to see, and that's the original interpretation of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got that box set. I think it's uh, three box sets, if I recall. It's in green and gold box. Then it's got all the old school, in, including the uh, uh, the lagoon with uh, Garsh. Gentleman's about eighty-eight years old now, but it's got that film in it too. It's a great box set, and it's on it's on a Blu-ray or DVD. So you are correct. You're gonna have to check that out. Uh, just uh, something that you mentioned off the bat. Uh, you did say that you are a veteran, and first and foremost, I would like to thank you for your service to this country. That's. Uh, you I, said always you... say, I always say thank you, you know, um, you know, and I mean that and I appreciate um, I always, you know, I always just say the ones that we have to really thank are the ones that didn't come home. So I get to have this conversation with you and there's, you know, hundreds of thousands that never made it. So but thank you. Of course. Um, now, you said you were in the army. 
Yeah, I, I was, uh, I'm what they call Vietnam era. Um, I was in the military in early 74. Vietnam conflict or campaign was over in 75. So then we migrated right over to the Cold War with uh, Russia. Um, I was infantry, grunt. I was a sergeant. Uh, I enjoyed it. It taught me a lot. Uh, I was just confused about the Army because uh, I thought at some point, I believe it was the Crystal Lake Memories documentary. Um, I think it was uh, McLaughlin himself. He was talking about the scene where you almost impaled his wife, Nancy, with the spear in the car. True. And he's, uh, I think he called you a Marine, actually. So I, I was always under the assumption that you were a Marine. But he always, he always gets those confused. But I always tell the Marines that, you know, it's okay to make one mistake in your life, and that's becoming a Marine. So, you know, I'll let it go with that. So uh, I never never let a Marine push you around, okay? Remember that, okay? I just wanted to, you know, thank you for your service. And I, you know, implore anyone who listens to, if you see a veteran anywhere, regardless of the branch, to uh, make sure you thank them for their service because uh, they sacrificed a lot of time, a lot of – they sacrificed a lot to uh, serve for this country, so – uh, something that my mom uh, was big on raising me was respect yeah, I, to our vets. You know what? I, I thank them too when I see them, just so you know. So, you said you like military movies. Is there a particular military movie that you like? You know, I like all films that are shoot 'em up, bang bang. I don't care if it's from, you know, uh, Shooter all the way back to General Patton. Anything in between, you know, I mean. I enjoy watching the Rambo, and I also enjoy watching the Deplorables and anything where somebody's jumping out of an airplane and or bombs are going off. You know, it's exciting. Uh, every once in a while, I have to sit down with my wife and watch a lovey-dovey just because. Uh, but for the most part, I like them. Um, shoot them up action. Uh, you know, I even like the old True Grit, John Wayne. My grandmother is a huge fan of John Wayne. I, uh, it's funny you mentioned John, uh, John Wayne. Um because I'm kind of like a history buff, so I'm like mm-hmm. really big into like World War II. And some of the first war movies that I saw was a lot of John Wayne's World War II stuff. Uh, Flying Tigers, Sands of Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went all the way through the Vietnam Green Berets. That is a good movie. I know a lot of people give that movie uh, a hard time, but I like that movie. So I'm not going to put you on the spot because you may or may not know the answer. So I'm just going to pretend you know, and I'm just going to repeat it. You know, John Wayne's favorite right-hand stunt double was Ted White, who played Jason Number 4. You know what? I did not know that, and that is actually well, That's why I wasn't going to put you on the spot, the, the, but Ted the, White, the, who's 94 years old and still there, um, he was in not just one or two, but dozens of of John Wayne movies as his double and a lot of them as playing opposite of him with the stunts. Uh, he worked with John Wayne uh, from the late fifties on and Ted White, who's done well over a hundred films in his life and probably most of them with John Wayne and, and Clark Gable in that era. Uh, he laughs about it, but everybody knows him because he played Jason in the movie Friday the 13th part four. That is some awesome horror trivia. That is not just even horror trivia. Like, that's just awesome trivia in general. Like, I mean, obviously, I know 
you know, Ted White played Jason, I just never knew that he actually, uh, I guess I never really thought about it that much. Like when I think of like, when I think of you or Ted White or Kane Hodder, I just think of like these roles that you're iconic for. I don't think of like the previous stuff that you might've done with other big names. Mm-hmm. So that's actually I mean, pretty impressive. Yeah, Ted laughs about it, you know, and he is getting a little older. He has not been in a convention in a couple of years. Uh, but I remember one time on a panel, he was just kind of laughing because, like he said, you know, I've done about 100 movies, and they only know me because I put a hockey mask on and played Jason, and I didn't even want credits in the movie. <laughs> so here we are talking about it, and the man is uh, an icon historically when it comes to working with John Wayne and others back in the golden ages. That is awesome. I would say my, uh, I, I would say, you know, you said you'll watch any movie that like that's like Bang Bang Shoot 'Em Up. I'm yeah, I call almost, it Bang Bang I'm, Shoot 'Em Up. You know, I, I'm almost in that same camp, except I, I do have a favorite war movie. Um, have you ever seen the movie Tor Tor Tor? Oh yeah, that's old school. Yep, I I like a lot of the old school uh, war movies. Some of the newer ones, you know, I'll watch them, but like, I just, I don't know. There's just something that's special about those older versions. Like they have a lot more heart to them. I think. Well, I can tell you, it's like a lot of the ones Platoon and those types, which are you know, you may or may not know this, but Platoon. Uh, Tony Todd was in Platoon. I don't know. Tony Todd is Candyman. Yep. So, but I can relate to those because of the Vietnam era. All of that pistol belt, web gears, M16s, grenade launchers, all of that is from the era when I was in the military. So I can connect with those real easily. Rambo, everything Rambo touched from an M60 machine gun to just a Huey was something I was either in or utilized when I was in the military. So those kind of connect. And I do like enjoying going back just a little further to General Patton, and one reason is because I was with the 3rd Infantry Division, which was the principal infantry division back in World War II in yep. Germany. Yep, that was uh, Patton's division. He yeah. led the th- he led the Third Army all the way from uh, from si- from Sicily, Salerno, uh, France, all the way into uh, the Battle of the Bulge. It was a uh, the third the third infantry. Uh, what you I'm. I suddenly just forgot the name of the 3rd Infantry. They, uh, yeah, just called the 3rd ID, 3rd Infantry Division. They have, uh, they have left their watermark on history and the history of World War II. Um, so, okay, so some of the movies that I've been watching, um, I finally got around to, uh, I finally got around to watching the Christmas slasher movie Silent Night, Deadly Night. <laughs> have, have you seen that one? I've only seen bits and parts of it, but it's it's interesting. You know what? I I understand maybe at the time of its release the outrage it caused. You know, ah, you can't have killer Santa Claus. That movie's awesome, though. I'm gonna have to review that on this show sometime because I like there's some good kills in that show and. It do, it doesn't come off as one of those like generic slashes to me, like a lot of them from the eighties. Like, well, you know, it, it 
I'll give an example. It, it's the films of the 80s and 90s and so on that are horror. Uh, the simplicity of those movies, for whatever reason, carries longevity and generations because you're not doing everything with a green screen and or flying people around and doing backflips or jumping out of airplanes and landing on tanks and then jumping over the freeway and standing up like, you know, Superman. Um, you really could have Jason or Michael Myers standing in your backyard. Oh, yeah. I like, uh, you know, outside of like, outside of like the franchise slashes, as I call them, you know, Halloween, Jason, Texas Chainsaw. I, I would have to say that my favorite slasher movie that's not got like a bunch of sequels would probably be uh, My Bloody Valentine. From uh, 81, and it's it's mostly just because, like, you know, that movie's just got, you know, it's a small town. It's just relatable. You live in a small town. Everyone knows everybody. Very simplistic, like I said. The more simplistic, the more scary and terrifying it is. Now, here's another trivia for you, since you like World War II and General Patton. You ever heard of a gentleman called Audie Murphy? Yep. I used to watch his films and liked them a lot because when I was in with the 3rd Infantry Division, I was in the Audie Murphy platoon. So my whole platoon, for the most part, was a bunch of folks from Texas, and they were all very gung-ho as a result because when they joined the military, the infantry, they joined specifically to be in the Audie Murphy platoon. I didn't even know that there was an Audie Murphy platoon, but that's interesting. Like, I'd not ever heard of that, but I have heard of Audie Murphy. Right. Waddy Murphy platoon, for, for definition purposes, is the platoon that he was in when he was in the military. So everybody's assigned to a platoon, a company, 2nd of the 15th Infantry to be exact, Company B, and then everybody's assigned to a platoon. There's four platoons in a company in the normal state, sometimes five. But he was assigned to a platoon of about 31 soldiers, which was the platoon that he was assigned to. So it's called the Audie Murphy platoon. Interesting. So you, actually, you didn't realize you didn't realize a guy with a hockey mask was going to have an IQ like this, did you? I mean, <laughs> I figured he'd have some type of like I'm. I mean, no, I didn't. That's okay. I, you gotta, I've got no comeback for that. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to remember. For the last twenty five years, I was the general manager and/or chief operating officer of multiple casinos, billion dollar resorts. So I had anywhere up to twenty five hundred employees on any given day with reasonably a half a million uh, uh, per day going in and out of the bank accounts and sometimes, you know, $500 million in revenues by the end of the year and a $100 million payroll. So, you know, looks are deceiving when you wear a hockey mask. You just don't know what's behind the mask. Now, you said you were recently retired from that? I, I retired three and a half years ago. I've got two suits left. I got rid of all of my suits. I kept a dark blue one for weddings and a black one for funerals. <laughs> so Oof, but that's kind for 25 of... years, I've been running casino resorts. I worked for Steve Wynn. I worked for Caesars, George Maloof at the Palms, you know. Um, so um, I even uh, ran a riverboat in uh, Illinois. They still have those? They still do. The riverboats now are what they call, they're connected. They don't, they don't leave the port. They're called boats in a moat. So they just let the water run into uh, the area, and they build hotels and casinos on it. So, But in hmm. 1990, the first riverboat license went out to Joomers Casino Rock Island in Quad Cities. 
And in 98, 99, 2000, I was the vice president general manager of that riverboat. That is awesome. So you have a lot of business cred. It's, like I said, everything when, when, to me is simple. Friday the 13th, part 13, Jason owns a business. Well, part 13 may come out. You, Tom McLaughlin has written a new uh, script, Friday the 13th, Jason Never Dies. And uh, he's connected the dots from part six to the future. And he's working diligently to try to get Mr. Cunningham and Mr. Miller and the studios uh, to allow him to do the next one, which theoretically, uh, if you count Jason versus Freddy, so theoretically it would be number 13. You know, I really hope that uh, Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller can sort this out because um, uh, I, I was really, I own the Friday the 13th, the video game that came out a couple years back. Correct. And spoiler alert, I love playing the part six, Jason. Everybody does. And, um, I'm and, lucky. And I just, we were supposed to get so much awesome content for the game. We were supposed to get an Uber Jason. We were supposed to get the Grendel spaceship from Jason X. And then the lawsuit hit and they're just, they actually, they're not doing nothing with the game anymore. They just put, uh, released the last patch for the game. Uh, at the beginning of the month, so the lawsuit really, that game had so much promise, and the lawsuit just killed it. Well, it's unfortunate, um, you know, the way I look at it, um, Cordell is, I'm a business guy, so I can speak from a, di- a business perspective. I understand both parties' interest. Uh, however, and I do know the laws have changed, and what's who owns what right, I understand all that, technically, My biggest question is, I would always say, don't forget who put you in that valuable chair to argue, the fans. So don't forget, it's been 10 years and those fans are waiting for a film. So regardless of who's right, who's wrong, who keeps 100% of the next 13, Friday the 13th, or who only keeps 50-50 and then keeps a lawsuit, um, don't let your fans down. Remember, those are the people that put you in that chair to argument. Otherwise, you'd have nothing to argue about. So be grateful and don't forget where you came from. And hopefully with that, they'll they'll come to a handshake, at least to get part 13 out while they sort out the difficulties. I do know, like, because I know that a lot of uh, merchandising for Friday the 13th kind of dropped with the, uh, like, anything new kind of dropped with the lawsuit. But I, I'm sure you're familiar with the toy company NECA. Sure. In fact, I've, uh, got, uh, I've also got four over here in the, from the old Sideshow 20 years ago. I have the uh, NECA announced that they're going to be releasing a Part 7 Jason at some point here pretty soon. So they got to be making some type of headway with the lawsuit. But yeah, it, I, it, people, it's on. you got to remember back in 86 and 95, there wasn't a huge merchandising as it is today. I mean, Star Wars took off 15 years ago, give or take, as did everything. So merchandising is is a good percentage of the overall net profit, and everything that was starting to pick up speed just came to a screeching halt because the, the merchandise people, they didn't know who to contract with, Mr. Miller, Mr. Cunningham, New Line, Paramount. I mean, it became so confusing that they just, everybody backed off until the settlement. The Star Wars angle is pretty good because, uh, you know, that movie came out in 74 and 
it just became a hit and Kenner Toys didn't even have a whole, they didn't have a big back stock of toys ready. It makes sense from that standpoint, but it's kind of funny uh, talking about NECA because I actually own the Jason Lives NECA figure. I, I re- very recently started collecting like hor- like action figures and things uh, horror related. So right. I want to get a bunch of the like NECA Jasons and Michaels and everything, but yours was the first Jason that I got. Like, well, before before they came out, and this was uh, probably 20, maybe 15, 16 years ago, I'm looking at a box over on the ground from Sideshow, Westlake Village, 12-inch oh, yeah. Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, Part 6. Yeah, um, like one Sideshow's of a, a little pricey people. for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I, they sent them to me 15, 16 years ago. They're still in the same box, sitting on the floor over there. You know, I mean, but they sent them to me, and, and there's six of them in there. If I recall, they're numbered on the back. You can see the numbers that are printed in. Um, and then it kind of took off from there where it really became a big deal with everything that's happened now. So, you know, if Mr. Miller, Mr. Miller and Mr. Cunningham come to terms, um, or if they just go ahead and shoot a part 13 and put everything in the bank until the settlement, and then winner takes all, so to speak, uh, I think the fans will be happy and it'll get everything going positively. And more importantly, um, maybe Mr. Cunningham and Mr. Miller, when there's $100 million sitting in an escrow account, maybe they'll come to terms and just split it 50-50 for now and worry about the differences in another five or ten years, which it won't matter because you know most of us won't be here in ten years when it comes to our age and their age. They're, they're, they're in their early 70s, so they're not spring chickens. Um, I'm 60. I'm not in my spring chicken. So, you know, it just moves on, right? That's amazing because you don't look 60. Well, actually, I'm 63. So I'll be 64 in February. Looks can be deceiving. Like I said, you don't know what's behind the mask, do you? And I think the last thing that I, uh, I think the last thing that I'll say that I was watching was, um, been watching a lot of Netflix. Uh, currently started watching this show called Mindhunter. Okay. They they released, they have two different uh, series of Mindhunter. They have a series where it's the FBI looking for Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Okay. And then the other one, which I didn't even realize until watching the show, this was an actual event. It's called... Um, it's called Mindhunter Deadly Games. It's about the 1970 um, bicentennial uh, bombing at the Atlanta, Georgia Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Jewell being falsely accused and all that. I didn't even realize that was an actual thing. Yeah, I, I actually saw the show. So it was the Richard Jewell, the Jewell thing was just part of it. Uh, but the bomber they finally took out of the woods. Yeah, uh, uh, Rudolph. Rudolph something. Yeah. So that just gives you an idea how things can be twisted satisfactory to suit one person's narrative rather than the truth. Yeah, you really, really feel for Jewel when you watch that TV show. I feel for me because it could happen to you. So those are kind of everything that I've been watching Mm -hmm. in a nutshell. So... I think what we'll do is we'll get into uh, 
the movie itself, Jason Lives. Um, and while we talk about this, I'll kind of like ask you different questions about the movie. So Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives, came out in 1986. It is the sixth installment of the Friday the 13th films series. The uh, movie was made on a $3 million budget, which just completely mind blows me because I just don't think a movie is being made. Like, you look at movies these days and they're being made on like $100 million budgets and making like $5 million back. So, well, you got to look at it when I said earlier that the simplicity of these films is what attracts the fans. I mean, listen, Wonder Woman, Batman, you know, they're all great. Don't take it wrong. But so much of it's done digitally on computers with green screens and wires and ropes. Cost wise, it's not ridiculous. It does have an ROI return on the investment, but it's just phenomenal compared to a slasher movie. And if the slasher movie is done well, you know, I mean, Friday the 13th is a billion dollar franchise worldwide, but you start looking at some of these films. And the interesting thing you got to remember Cordell is that in my day, nobody wanted to wear a mask. Oh no, I want them to see my face. And I was like, I don't care. Give me the mask. (laughs) The interesting part is when you start watching all the real successful films over the last decade, interesting how they're all wearing masks. Arrow, Batman, you know, RoboCop, every oh, they're all wearing masks. <laughs> kind of interesting, huh? Sometimes I think that's part of the appeal with some of these movies is you want to know what's behind the mask, and you know, I don't know so much about Arrow. I don't really, but Batman and RoboCop, you know, just well, Arrow, Arrow, Batman, RoboCop. Those are either your Marvel, get into your Marvel side, or your DC side of your comics. I kind of fall more, like, I don't really have a preference. I like DC and Marvel. I guess, you know, if I go with DC, it's Batman. If I go with Marvel, it's Captain America. And they all wear a mask. And if it's not that, it's Lou Frigno. They've got the poor guy painted green. <laughs> so my point is not a negative. It's a positive. It's like, wow, isn't it amazing the successes of people that are hid behind a mask in a movie? Flash. I mean, Zorro, you can go back to the 50s, Zorro, you know, uh, the Long Ranger, they wore masks. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because in today's element, these most successful movies, um, people are in some form of a costume. I just normally, normally when it comes to budget, you know, a movie could be good, but if it doesn't make back half its budget or more than its budget, then it's considered a failure. And... You know, I'm not sh- I don't know how it worked back then with filming, but like I've seen print I've seen plenty of like movies that I like that I like really enjoyed, but because the studios considered them flops, they didn't follow up with it. And so Jason Lives, a budget of three million and its box office gross came back at nineteen point four million, which I believe makes this the lowest grossing. Of the Friday the 13th series? Um, in those days, yeah. You have to look at the ratios of the cost associated with the ticket today than the cost associated with ticket then. So everything comes down to ratios. Just so you know, when you look at numbers statistically, it's no different than minimum wage used to be $3.25 versus today. So 
you have to put everything in perspective, cost of gas. So that would have been considered low in today's. However, $3 million investment, $19 million ROI minus $3 million of the investment is a $16 million net. You know what? Uh, that's pretty good anyway you look at it. I mean, I'm, I thought it was a win. Uh, so, but you have I, to look at movies today, you know, Cordell. It's like if they invest $100 million, they're they're looking for far, five times the reinvestment. So that means they want a half a billion. And if they don't see that immediately. They think it's in the in the studio's eyes, it's a flop. However, once it gets to worldwide release and goes out for a year or two with pay uh, pay preview and stuff, that's how they really make their money. I mean, most of it's going to be on the ROI, the return on the investment. Once it goes out to a, a global release and DVDs and Blu-rays and returns on that investment, then and like you see, we were talking earlier, uh, which is a big thing now is you start looking at the retail items. Merchandising. T-shirts, yep. There was a, of course, I also try to take into account that this is back in like the heyday of VHS tapes, and movies back then did a lot better on VHS than... Let me give you a trivia, and I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell you the answer, because I don't, again, I'm old. Top-selling movie, the best movie, the top movie of the year 1986 was, you ever heard of a movie called Top Gun? Oh, yes. So do your ratio, do your configuration, and let's look at horror in comparison today as it was then. Then it wasn't, it was a big deal, but not as big as today. For some reason, everybody started to embrace the simplicity of a horror movie. And it's got you on the edge of your seat, and it's exciting, and, you know, it's like, it's scary. Um, So a lot of those configurations have to be put into your ratios, and that's where we get into the narrative, you know, and I can spin any number, you know, just so you know, I can spin any number positively. Um, but if you let me break it down to the ratios and, uh, you know, algorithms and how it was put together distribution wise and things, I can find you a plus, plus, plus. But I still think if it made 19 million on the first on the uh, return on the investment of 3 million, somebody made 16 million on it. And I but believe I, that somebody might have been Paramount Pictures. Correct. Which, and I do believe uh, once it went worldwide, as I said, the, the my understanding is all 12 of them have grossed over a billion dollars now as a family in distribution worldwide, uh, box rays, Blu-rays, uh, box sets, and uh, New Line, Paramount, and all the ones that have been put together. So uh, I would say they probably, we can use $3 million as a as a conservative figure for 12 of them. So that means thirty-six million dollar investment in totality, and it's and it's given them back a billion dollars. Not bad. You know, Paramount has like this weird love-hate relationship with the Friday the Thirteenth series, with horror in general, because um, Paramount was also the same company that distributed My Bloody Valentine and so many of those uh, titles in the eighties, and I. I don't know. I watched some of the documentaries for Friday the 13th, particularly His Name Was Jason and the Crystal Lake Memories. And I just kind of always get this feeling that Paramount is proud of the money that they made from this, but they're just embarrassed by the series. Well, you have to look at Paramount as a whole. Paramount is more like an MGM, United Artists. Those are like the three big boys in the old days or three big girls in today's days. And what I mean by that is 
Paramount, if you go back and look at all the movies of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they weren't horror. Frank Mancuso Jr., whose father ran Paramount Studios, uh, got an opportunity to do a horror movie, and his project was Friday the 13th. The ROI, the return on investment, was huge and still is huge, unexpectedly, but it's not the pride and joy. It's not going to get an Oscar. It's not going to get an Emmy. You know, it's not, you know, one of those where you get to put the little metal uh, figure on your shelf. But monetarily, it has never, ever, ever let them down when it comes to the investment and the return on the investment. They've always, always exceeded and met all expectations. However, it's just unexpected to them. And like, it's kind of like the old saying about the redheaded stepchild. It's kind of the redheaded stepchild. Yeah, it just kind of makes me sad because, you know, when you think of New Line, uh, you know, that was referred to as the house that Freddie built, and they were very protective of uh, Freddy Krueger and the Nightmare on Elm Street brand, and just kind of pains me that Paramount wasn't, like, the same towards Friday the 13th, because even if it doesn't get you an Oscar, if it's your moneymaker, I would think you want to protect that. Always. Always remember, it's... it's and like I said earlier, always remember how you got here. One of my great successes of being a general manager of multiple casino resorts, a chief operating officer, was my team. I had the best team. I assembled the best team. I trained the best team. I ensured that people around me not only were making a good income but had opportunity for advancement within the organization. And at the end of the day, always remember where you came from. They made me, helped me. And drove me to be as successful as I became running casino resorts. So when we open this movie, we get to uh, this movie picks up sometime after the events of part five, which was not well received by fans. Um, Tommy Jarvis is still haunted by the memory of Jason. He goes to the cemetery where Jason is buried and tries to desecrate the body. But... He has kind of like a, what would you say, like a meltdown? <laughs> well, it, he, he thinks he's going to incinerate Jason's body in his mind, then it will be totally gone and done. Unfortunately, it backfires, and by putting a spear in the body and the, and the uh, thunder and the lightning, hitting that spear, electrifies the body. Jason comes back to life more powerful than he's ever been, very similar to the Frankenstein uh, series way back in the 50s and 60s. So his story basically backfired, and it didn't work. It didn't It didn't desecrate, as you put it. It actually brought Jason back into the world of the living. So you got this role as a... Uh, um, this role was originally uh, belonged to Dan Bradley, and uh, Paramount wasn't happy with the dailies that they got for it. So how did you end up getting the part? Well, I went out for the film originally, and the other gentleman got it. And when the first daily came back, a daily is when you shoot, and the tape and the negatives come back, and they sit down and watch it and see how it looks on the screen and try to get a flavor. Unfortunately, the first daily came back, and the powerful of Jason wasn't there, what they were looking for at least. Um, so with that being said, uh, they called me back and said, you know what, it's not working. Can you still available? Yes, and... Four days later, I was in Covington, Georgia, putting on the wardrobe. So all the shots of Jason save the paintball day scenes are you? Everything except the paintball scene is me. The paintball scene, when it hits the midsection, 
look closely at it, most people just assume I'm wearing padding. The other gentleman was a little bit thicker um, compared to my physique, you know. So, but people just assume, well, it's CJ, he's just wearing padding. Um, but that's not my midsection. So, Jason comes back to life, as you mentioned, being struck via Frankenstein by the lightning bolt. And we get our first kill of the movie, Alan Hawes. And I have to say that's probably my favorite kill you did in the movie, was just punching Hawes' heart out of his chest. Like, it's a hell of a way to start a movie. Well, actually, when you think about it, there's 18 kills in Friday the 13th Part 6. Several of the kills, including that one, um, were shot twice with more gore. And unfortunately, the way rating was done back in the 80s to maintain that gore, um, which is very normal in today's TV, let alone the theaters, um, would have had to make it an X rating. So just to get it under uh, 13, which would be uh, R17, um, that scene is there. But the scene actually had the heart pumping blood and squirting in the air, um, which was the other scene that was done. But you know, the rating system didn't allow it. So a lot of those had to be taken out and just made as they look now. You may think they're gory, but they were pretty gory the way they were shot back in 1986. The MPAA is like the is like the ultimate bad guy when it comes to horror movies. The, the way they like to butcher uh, that type of gore. But this was... This, I would have to say, is ultimately my favorite uh, kill of this film. Uh, we do have a couple others coming. So Hawes gets killed, and Tommy tries to go to warn the sheriff. But as it is in most of these movies, the police don't believe him, and he's just arrested as being crazy. You know, we get that awesome opening with the James Bond uh, reference, the close-up to the eye. There are... Your portrayal of Jason Voorhees, um, it's something that I've always, like, really, like, it's, I, I, I'm not going to say ripping off, but it has, like, the similar feel to one of my other favorite slasher villains, Michael Myers. Like, the Jasons that came before you would run, and you kind of gave him this slow, methodical, stalking uh, type of... And there's many uh, parts of the movie throughout, like when you're walking by the window um, of the cabin where all the children are sleeping and you're carrying Missy's body. Um, there's just something about the way you played this character that really, it, it makes this version my favorite of the Jasons. Well, you have to understand, part six, the object was to use it as a launching platform where Jason would become the principal in the movie. Uh, rather than your your actors and actresses, everyone everybody wanted to see what Jason was going to do next. The methodical, going back to the lightning bolt, starting to connect the dots, starting to think methodically of his moves, what was next. Um, that's part of the way it was put together. As far as the walk, that's me. I'm six foot three, six four, two fifty. Coming out of the military a few years before that, you walk thirty inches all around. Uh, your stride is what it is, and if you take a look at it, my stride is very solid methodical. Now, the flip side of the coin is the other reason it's so methodical. If you put a hockey mask on, you lose all peripheral vision, and you can't see four feet in front of you when you're walking. So every time you take a step, you better make sure you plant that foot solid because you can't see your foot going down. So everything is done a little more slower because you're being more careful about how you do it. 
And as far as part six, you got to realize the opening, part six is the only one that's got the James Bond opening. Part six is the only one that comes back to life like Frankenstein. Part six is the only one that has a Alice Cooper Hall of Famer doing the music. And part six is where I get to wear a Batman utility belt at the end of the day. I love so, that utility belt. Everyone always gives the utility utility belt shit, but I love the utility belt. That's my Batman utility belt, I tell people. I always hear people like complain about it, like why is Jason like why does Jason like feel the need to take this guy's belt? It looks cool, okay? Plus he doesn't have to carry his machete in his hand now all the time. He can just put it in its shed. Going back to earlier, like like I said, Jason has now become a more methodical. So when he sees things, there's a curiosity factor. He saw the man wearing it, realized it had weapons in it, and those could be used to kill people, thus took them, and, and that's how it goes forward. And that's kind of the cool thing. And going back to the game, that's why so many people choose to pick part six, because so many weapons, and every time Jason dies, it electrocuted, and the lightning hits the body, it comes back to life. So they're off and running again. So it's fun for the fans. It's unfortunate. you got to realize, Cordell, I was you know, had no idea three decades later we'd be having this conversation. I'm very humbly appreciative of it and honored. And it's kind of one of those things you take away from just being in the military. Um, you do your job, you take care of business, and if you're lucky, you know, good karma, good things will happen. And so I've been very fortunate, not just running casino resorts, but doing Friday the 13th, uh, you know, doing the different man behind the mask, uh, Vengeance, playing Jason's father, 13 fanboy. I worked with everybody from Kane Hunter to Corey Feldman to D. Wallace. Um, so I can't complain. You know, I'm in a good space and I'm very fortunate. I, uh, I do want to uh, uh, mention some quick facts in here for this uh, interview. As you mentioned, you do get to play um, Jason's father, Elias Voorhees, in Friday the 13th Vengeance, which came out just last year. Um, it's a fan film. I definitely recommend any of uh, my listeners to go check it out. It's on YouTube. It takes place some 30, 40 years after the events of Part 6. I am hoping we get a sequel to it because they kind of leave it ambiguous. My understanding is, yes, there is a sequel. I've been asked to participate in Bloodlines. I've told them that I'd be interested. Let's take a look and see how it looks when we get into 2021 and see what our options are. Um, I understand that Tom McLaughlin has agreed to do a part in it again. So uh, Jason Brooks played Jason. He'll be in it, obviously. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, hopefully 2021 will, will, you know, we'll feel better about ourselves. It's unfortunate we've lost over 300,000 people uh, in 2020 uh, to a pandemic, a virus. And hopefully 2021 we can get back on our feet. And, uh, you know, things will never be the same. We'll always have some changes in our daily routine, but hopefully we can get back to what will be the new normal. The icing on the cake with having you back for Bloodlines was if you guys get Tom Matthews back to play an older Tommy Jarvis. That would be the icing. Right. Well, I know that uh, Tom Matthews is working on Never Hike Alone. has been a project he's been involved in. So it's kind of hard for him to cross over, to be fair to Tom. However, um, there are some others, I understand, that have verbally committed to it. Um, I'm not going to say who they are because I have not talked to them personally to hear their commitment. So I, I'm very careful about 
you know, he said, she said until I talked to them personally. But I think there's two or three people that are engaged. And you got to remember, Vengeance also had Steve Dash, who played Jason yep. by the 13th Part 2 in it. So it was kind of a nice little reunion for Steve and I as friends and Tom McLaughlin. Uh, and we'll see how Bloodlines plays out in 2021. I look forward to that, actually, because I really enjoyed uh, I, I I was I was very curious to see how how you would bring the Elias character to it, like how he was going to play into the factor. Um, definitely, well, I think, I think was, Bloodlines uh, Cordell is going to, if you know the way I interpret it, is you know half the movie is going to be Jason's father whacking people, uh, just like I did in uh, the Friday the Thirteenth Vengeance. But I think they're going to bring him in. I think I killed four. One, two, four. I think I killed four, maybe five people in Vengeance. But everybody got really embraced in the Elias Voorhees and the score-off with Daddy and Son, where, if I understand it correctly, Jason Brooks has written in where uh, Jason's father, Elias Voorhees, is going to step into a little more. So it's going to be a two-prong Friday the 13th where you've got Jason on the campsite and Daddy, you know, kind of sweeping up his mess everywhere. So... What was it like working with some of the uh, people on set for this movie? Uh, you know, you had Jennifer Cook as Megan Garris, Tom Matthews, uh, David Kagan as uh, the sheriff, which is also another one of my favorite uh, kills when you bend the sheriff uh, in half for his kill scene. That was also a pretty amazing kill. What was the atmosphere like on set for this movie? Well, you got to realize um, I stayed off set as much as possible. So when I stepped on set, uh, the character known as Jason was uh, scary, terrifying, uh, unique. Uh, but those actors and actresses I had the pleasure of working with, those are some serious professionals. They were out there hustling and doing a lot of the things that I did with some of them physically. Um, they gave me a lot of trust to physically pick Darcy up by the neck and throw her at a camera or lunge a real knife at Tom Finley's head and stop before we went to the cut where we used a fake knife. Those type of things, Tom Matthews underwater holding on to him so he couldn't get to the surface, breathing off a regular, those those took guts for those folks that aren't stunt people to do. So my hat's off to working with them and the, the uh, privilege of being allowed to work with them. Um, the music... For Friday the 13th Part 6. Um, obviously you mentioned Alice Cooper. So I wasn't big into horror as a child. I didn't really get into horror until I saw Rob Zombie's reimagining of Halloween in 2007. But not long after that, I heard the Alice Cooper song, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. Now, uh, my research shows that you did actually shoot some scenes with Alice Cooper for the music video that he did. Yeah, actually, the interesting thing about Alice Cooper, um, not only is in the Hall of Fame, but uh, when we do conventions in the last few years, I've been actually putting the full wardrobe on, and Alice and I have been doing photo ops with our fans. Oh, so my gosh. It's been pretty amazing for both me and Alice to see each other. Um, and at the same time, you know, Alice Cooper was a huge part of the Friday the 13th series to be able to be in part six. You know, he's the only rock and roll singer that's ever participated. So I'm really blessed in a good way that I was able to work on part six. 
And it's right in the middle of the series. Um, and like I said, we'll see what happens in part 13. I know, like I said, Tom McLaughlin has written a new script uh, for part 13. And, you know, there he's been on some podcasts and made some inquiries as to my, you know, interest, if I would do it or not. I still, I weigh 250, I weigh 243 when I did the movie. Uh, I think I still got some size to me that I might be able to handle it. Um but, and you got to remember, Ted White was 58 when he did his bit. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, one thing I will tell you, Cordell, I would not do Part 13 if I could not deliver to the fans a performance as good or better than Part 6. I would never just do it to say I did it. Um, part of being in a good space is you pick and choose. And if I can do it and give a performance that would knock your socks off, <laughs> then I'd do it. But if I don't think I could do it, the physicality and really deliver, I'd have to let somebody else that's more physically capable to do it. Uh, be that Keen Hodder, Derek Mears, whoever. Uh, there was something I actually just recently read, and I wanted to ask you if there was any truth to it. Um, I read something that when, they, when New Line was doing Freddy vs. Jason, your casting agent wanted you to go in and audition for the role of Jason again, but you felt that New Line was being unfair to Kane for not uh, even trying to bring him back for the Jason role, so you didn't take it out of respect to Kane Hodder. No, I have a lot of respect for Kane. I've known Kane. He did four of them. He's a great ambassador for the series. Uh, He works his butt off to promote Friday the 13th. I think he's a very key figure as to being out there doing conventions and stuff. Uh, the other factor you got to look at, though, I was the chief operating officer of two casino resorts. Um, I had two senior vice president general managers reporting to me and, you know, eight, nine directors and vice presidents and up to 2,500 employees. So for me to quit a job uh, doing pretty well, you know, wouldn't make logical sense to go do a quick movie and then I would be out of employment. Um, it was too much of a difference in a pay scale for me to go just do a movie. I mean, it's not like you're going to get rich doing a movie like this. Um, iconically, it's fun, but it's it's not like being a general manager of a casino resort. Um, so I had to look at those options and make decisions and moved on to it. Now that I'm retired from running casino resorts, um, and if Tom McLaughlin or someone came to me and asked me, I have the opportunity to entertain Without the financial reward, more the, hey, this is going to be fun. I'm going to have a good time. Because when I did Friday the 13th Part 6, I didn't do it to be an actor or a stuntman. I did it because I would be fun. <laughs> and they just happened to be paying me to do it. So we'll see where it wears out. Um, you know, it, we'll see what happens. If Tom McLaughlin does get the character back in his corner and he calls me, again, if I can deliver a product better or as good, great. But I don't want to be that NFL, WWF. I don't want to be the the football player, you know, or the basketball player that comes back after retirement and, and should have stayed retired, so to speak. Um, I don't want to do that to my fans, and I don't want to do that to me. That's, that's fair enough. You know, you want to give the fans, you know, quality. You want them to have – you want them to get what they're paying to see. So – well, I, I'm fortunate, you know, um, Cordell, because a lot of people, um, one of the top two favorites is usually part six is in the top two. Um, I don't want to disappoint my fans. My fans are more valuable to me 
than doing it again. Um, they're the reasons you and I are having this conversation right now, 30-some-odd years later. Um, with that comes my sense of responsibility and loyalty back to the fans that they've given me. So, um, And I thank the fans every time I see them. I mean, again, without the fans, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So thank you to the fans for you know appreciating Part 6 and what we did. And how supportive has your family been with all this? I know I know. Um, I saw that your wife made uh, these really cute, like, limited uh, Jason Lives Christmas wreaths. Um, she has fun with it. You know what? Um, you know, running casinos until I retired, you know, 24-7, 365, and now I just take care of the horses and the ranch. And, you know, she started making a wreath for our front door before you knew it. It had a hockey mask on it. It had a glove and a machete. And all of a sudden, she put it on Facebook, and everybody wanted to buy one from her. So she ended up selling a few of them, and she even shipped one all the way to Hawaii. Um, oh, that's she, awesome. She's just playing with it and having fun. She's very good about it. She keeps me um, balanced, grounded, um, humbled. So I do appreciate it. And I think I, I speak for many of the fans that we really appreciate uh, you, CJ, and everything that you've uh, like given to the role of Jason. Um, you know, you, uh, now that you got, uh, time, you know, I know your schedule is really busy coming up. You've released your, hopefully what'll be your schedule for 2021 with conventions. Right. Um, I was kind of disappointed. I didn't see Michigan on there. I really wish Michigan would have a convention out here worth, like that's worth, uh, some time to go to cause. Right. There's just so many people in these horror uh, that I want to meet in person, get your autographs. Uh, like, I want to meet you. I want to meet Kane. I want to meet, uh, you know, Nick Castle, who played Michael Myers in the original Halloween. And it's just, it don't really get a chance to do that around here because they don't, they don't do conventions out here much in Michigan. Well, hey, you know what, uh, Cordell? That's a good segue to close down this uh, interview. You, I know you like Michael Myers, uh, but I want to tell you a story about Michael Myers before we, we sign off here, buddy. I want you to remember, and I know you like Michael Myers, but I want to remind you that real men, real men use a machete, not an Outback steak knife. Don't forget it. Oh, I won't forget it. Well, All right, I buddy. Want, I want I to thank you. you. I want to thank you for coming on to the show. It's been a real honor that to get to do this. Um, I, I believe I'm going to attach this interview when I do an actual review of the movie. And I will have this out soon. And I'm just really honored that you agreed to this. No, it's uh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, okay? I want to wish you a happy New Year's and uh, much love and safety to you and your family. Stay healthy, okay, partner? I'll talk to you again, okay? Yep. Have a great, Have a good night, CJ. All right, bye-bye. Bye.